Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Time for our Dallas Mavericks season outlook now here on the Dunk Down Podcast. I am joined by someone whose intro music I do not have, and therefore I, I feel that I have, I have already done him wrong. But nonetheless, uh, joining us for the second straight year, I appreciate the favor of Tim McMahon coming on for us to talk about these Mavs. Can, can you just call Tom Haberstroh and have him sing it? Because I really can't podcast without my theme song. <laughs> <laughs> trying to think if I if I have Tom Zimber. I guess hey, I probably have it have it somewhere. <laughs> I will I will fight on I will do my best golly man I mean I feel like I'm playing hurt now do, do you have any musical talent yourself absolutely none <laughs> that's too bad because I really I really would like to like you know if you could get like a song back for Haberstroh about how he's like the master of like contested pickup long twos I think that oh is he a long two launcher <laughs> really the, the the NBA analytics nerd is a long two launcher <laughs> yeah um yeah so he's he probably is like the most like inconsistent guy in terms of like his actual pickup game uh you know who david axelrod is like the former like obama advisor mm-hmm. yeah uh, so back when i was like in my early 20s in chicago i played in this game with like those regular game with, like a bunch of Chicago bigwigs and he would play and you'd think you know he's like all right you know liberal like causes he'd be like you know very egalitarian like pass the ball around <laughs> and stuff this dude he's just was, a gunner huh he was jacking from 30 feet like the moment the ball hit it like Will he if, make him like uh, so he or was shoot. it just he was yeah. the guy you didn't want to play with because he's launching and missing and you're losing i mean he'd hit like 29 percent, which like in uh. pickup is like just enough so you make enough that you keep shooting but like not enough yeah. that like you're probably actually helping the team but like everyone's you know so maybe like one out of like if we played four or five games and we played by twos and threes by the way people who play by one oh uh, ones and twos it, look first of all i i will campaign against ones and twos for the rest of my day don't hate on the big guy, okay? Yep. Especially at, at our age now where you actually have to work and put forth effort to get position. I'm sorry. That does not that's not half as much as uh just hitting an open three. That that that's crap. No, I, I mean there's like no reason to ever shoot a layup unless it's wide open on that. <laughs> I mean, like I shouldn't be shooting threes probably and like when it's ones and twos, like I might as well like start jacking them up. And, and I mean this idea that like I, I I'm trying to figure out like I think there's two reasons I can think of that evolved. One is just that like it makes the game over faster so like more people get on the court if it's a busy court but the and the other one is just like well it's just too hard like to count right because like plays where they play by and ones, no don't it's not too hard to count no it's not too hard to count well no, we, we can not. all do two two plus two three plus two all that it's not that tough now i will admit i shoot way too many threes as a guy who shot like two threes my entire high school career um but that's because rolling is a lot harder than popping oh yeah no so it's, it's a lazy uh, thing for sure well and then i don't want to have to guard people out there too that's like that's the worst I mean, well I mean, i'll say this if i close out i ain't going in reverse so if you want to you know blow by me on a closeout have that 
I'll, I'll, I'll run you off three-point line, but, like, I, you know, I can go one way or the other. I, I can't, you know, no. We ain't going full speed forward and then kick it in reverse. That's just not the way that uh, things work at the age of 41. It was funny, actually. Bob Myers was talking about how playing pickup actually, like, helps him some still in his evaluation. And I, I second this, too. He's like, if you actually are playing at the NBA three-point line with guys who can make that shot, it is so hard to actually, like, close out and then, like, stop somebody when they try and drive by you. Like, the angles are totally different than than it is if you're at the college line and it's just like that's what all all these old timers are like oh yeah like i stopped these guys like it'd be, it'd be so easy it's like that's really far away from the hoop like when you have to guard four guys at once out there it's like you can't do it like it is really really hard well you're playing higher level pickup ball than me because i'm just playing old man ball with the uh, college three-point line <laughs> there's i mean there's only a few places that i play that, that are like that but and, although actually if you're playing with the nba three-point line then i think maybe ones and twos a little bit more oh hell go higher. go go big three and put the four pointer out there too while you're at it <laughs> all right man let, let's talk about the, the dallas maverick i think you know they had i think it was a four and 17 start dirk was injured darren williams was injured at the start of the year but how good were they like once that was over and do you think that that's more representative of what they could be this year or do you think they're overall 33 and 49 record yeah, i mean they're, they're a lottery team you know they, they had a competitive run no question about it you know rick carlisle uh is going to kind of maximize the sum of the parts and I think that was the case last year you know Yogi, there was the Yogi Ferrell uh, experience where you know the, a dude on a 10-day contract played like a, you know a top 10 point guard and obviously he's he's a he's an NBA player but you know I mean he's not a guy who's going to come out and score 30 plus uh, on, on prime time on a regular basis like he did there so I think yeah. really what happened was they got off to the dreadful start uh, they overachieved in, in in the midst of a youth movement, you know, I mean, they were overachieving as they moved on from uh, Andrew Bogut and Darren Williams at the trade deadline because, you know, they were frankly getting better performances out of uh, younger guys. Measure was playing better than Bogut, and then obviously they brought in Nerlens Noel, and uh, and you know, Yogi Ferrell was playing as well as uh, as D. Will was during the rare times that D. Will was healthy. But look, Mark Cuban readily admits now they are in a rebuilding process. This is not a team that is loading up. I mean, look what they did in free basically they didn't make any significant additions this is not a team that's loading up to fight for the seventh or eighth seed this is a team that is loading up or not loading up uh, at the moment that is kind of taking the slow long outlook and saying hey four years from now as, as maybe that warriors dynasty is uh is nearing its end let's be in a position to contend let's be in a position to compete there and that's why you know for the mavericks this year as as much as it's about dirk's twilight and you know he, he's a legend around here obviously and around the league the most important thing this year is the development of dennis smith jr yeah. because that's going to determine how long this rebuilding process is going to be or at least in large part yeah and it's funny too that they got him because i mean i remember i can't remember if it was you i was talked to or, or someone else that basically like i heard and you can correct me if i'm wrong that cuban was basically livid that they won that last game of season mm-hmm. in memphis and hurt their draft prospects and then smith ended up falling to them anyway yeah and you know he's the guy they like they did like me looking at um you know, but i also think there was kind of some smoke screen in there i mean you know yeah uh, a lot of people coach on the summer league team for example. yeah and, and look in the orlando summer league team where they don't even put their nba prospects i mean i think there was more made out of that than than needed to be um you know i mean it's good to have a relationship with the french coach it didn't mean they're guaranteed to take neil akina yeah. if he was there you know the, the uh, picture of cuban uh with neil akina during the pre-draft process oh cuban went all the way over there well cuban was vacationing in europe and 
it was a quick little trip for them. Um, but I think they, I don't think they minded all the Neil Aquino buzz at all because certainly they were ecstatic when Dennis Smith Jr. was there at uh, at nine. And after Vegas, they're only more excited about him. I mean, they, they look, Rick Carlisle's already talking about him as a potential franchise cornerstone. It, Rick didn't even wait for a question after the, after the draft, you know, during the press conference. He said, we're projecting him to be a starter before anybody even asked. And not only are they projecting him to be a starter, but again, they're going to put the ball in this kid's hands. Uh, now, the, the Rick coaching a teenage rookie thing at point guard, that could be an interesting dynamic. <laughs> but he understands No, no, he's not hard on point is. guards. He's not hard on point guards because Yogi Ferrell <laughs> had two good bunts for him. He's got that armor now for the rest of <laughs> the rest career. Yeah, and, and I hey, you know what, though? Uh, he's hard on point guards who he doesn't want. Yeah. He didn't want Rondo. He was hard on Rondo. Yeah. Um, also hard on I, point I, guards he, who suck. <laughs> yeah, and look, D. Will and, and Rick actually got along fine. It's just, you know, D. Will kind of is what he is at this point of his career. You know, with the Mavericks, he was an average, slightly below average starting point guard. You know, he's, he's still unemployed uh, in September now. I mean, you know, but it, it's not, I thought there was going to be headbutt in, in, in that situation. Uh, obviously, you haven't seen the Rondo stuff up close and personal. Uh, understanding that there was some headbutting between Rick and Jason Kidd, uh, at least in the early going before obviously that became a very good relationship. Um, but uh, that's not the case. And and with Dennis Smith Jr., Rick knows there's going to be growing pain, but he also understands that this kid's talent is immense and that uh, his best chance to be coaching playoff games again and, and hopefully deep in the playoffs at some point is for this kid to uh, fully tap in all that talent and emerge as the kind of player that they can build around. This is something I really I wanted to ask you about, actually, because uh, between the last time we talked, Nerlens Noel switched agent, mm-hmm. took the qualifying offer. Then there was all this sniping in the media between his old agent, Happy Walters, uh, and Rich Paul didn't snipe back, but basically saying that Cubes offered four for 70 before restricted free agency started. They turned that down, uh, and then they ended up going with the qualifying offer. What's your take on how that whole thing played out well happy can't have it both ways yeah this is the same happy walters who told the morning news i don't know what was it three weeks in the free agency yeah, I remember that. that they were still waiting on the mavericks to make a quote serious offer the mavericks did make that offer i mean you know that that is i was told four years 68 70 whatever you know 17 ish 17 plus per year and he should have taken it another absolutely absolutely hey or, or if anything he should have said hey i've at least got to make what biombo's made and then okay four years 72 fine boom it's done the Mavericks are, are happy he's happy what he did was he said no I want Max and Cuban said can I cuss on this absolutely well Cuban said fuck you and pulled the offer from the table they you know another offer they never got to the point where there was another offer uh he changed agents and you know when he went to Rich Paul you know according to uh Chris Haynes our, our guy who uh obviously has some good relationships throughout the league and broke the story about Noel signing the qualifying offer basically he went to Chris Paul, or I'm sorry, Chris Paul, Rich Paul, uh, with the understanding that, hey, we're going to take the qualifying offer and 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 aim for unrestricted free agency next year, which, man, if he thinks he's going to cash in next year in that market uh, as a as a kind of a old school big guy, not a post player, but, you know, the, uh, a non-shooting big, 
I, I think he's, uh, you know, if he can get four years, 70 next year, I, I'm, I'd probably be surprised, even if he plays well this year. Especially yeah. when you look, hey, DeAndre's going to be out there. Boogie Cousins is going to be out there. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Brooke Lopez is going to be out it, It's There's not a bunch of teams that need bigs, and there's going to be several good bigs on the market. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got really, of the teams that have cap base, maybe only two or three are, are going to need a, a five at big money like that. And, and maybe he becomes like this amazing force defensively the guy that he has the potential to be and, and maybe that happens mm-hmm. but he's also got his injury history maybe that doesn't work out too well so yeah so there really was not an offer on the table at all at the time that he switched stages they just said max max yeah, the he... motherfucker and uh to quote your story about uh, <laughs> yeah about chandler parsons and uh cube said uh okay you know what? we'll pull this offer and do better um that, that's basically the story huh yeah he 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 way overestimated his value and misunderstood the market and i think a lot of guys misunderstood the market based on the one-time fluke circumstances yeah. of last summer. Um, you know, so I think he he way overestimated what the market would be for him. Obviously, he didn't get any qualifying or any um, uh, an offer sheet that uh, that he was looking for from anybody else. The Mavericks probably would have matched. Even I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll never know up to max, but that was never like a realistic, feasible scenario sure. anyway. Um, and and yeah, but I'll say this: I, I don't think now are there going to be some you know feelings that need to be soothed, and, and maybe even on both sides. By the way, Cuban maybe overreacted by uh, completely pulling the offer. Um, but I think this very well could be a situation where next summer, you know, if he plays well this year, that hey, the Mavericks will need him, and he probably will need the Mavericks, given uh, like you said that there's not a lot of teams that are going to be shopping for centers, and there are going to be uh, some good big available and you know if you just look at it on paper uh obviously he he has the potential to be a really really good defensive player i mean all defense kind of potential offensively he's limited um good passer for a big but really what he is is screen roll finish well they have a they have a stud point guard who they're building around that you would love to have a a big time lob threat for so i think just his fit with dennis smith jr as the centerpiece of this franchise now I, i i think it's a really good fit there i think the mavericks probably will could end up being his best option in free agency next year so you know some feelings might have to be soothed but by no by no means do i think that uh this is any sign that uh he doesn't have a future in dallas because again if i'm betting i would say that he still ends up in dallas after this season yeah you know uh danny and i did the mavs offseason grades about a month ago and we said well hey this we're gonna lower their grade if noel signs qualifying offer and then and once it happened and I really thought about it, I went back on that. I think that the him signing yeah. the qualifying offer is actually good for Dallas because number one, uh, maybe he just gets hurt and you know they don't or isn't any good or, or is a problem and then they can just get rid of him. There's yeah. no long term so they can see whether he's any good or not. And number two, he now they still will have full bird rights on him and his cap hold is going to be less than eight million dollars. So right, they, they'll have significantly more cap space right. this way and the ability to keep him. Now you know I can hear Mavericks fans cap space. What about uh, what's that ever done for the Mavericks? I understand that. Also, though, this, again, next summer is going to be an, an absolute buyer's market. And I really think that the biggest problem for the Mavericks in free agency over the years has been, you know, guys looked at that and kind of said, okay, wh- where's the upside? Where's future? Well, th- that's one thing the Mavericks actually can sell now is that, uh, you know, there's a chance to come in and, and get immediate playing time. But also, you know, th- this is a team that it is building for the future as opposed to, you know, uh, an old 
older roster where uh, the whole thing was being built around Dirk as, as he got into his golden years. So we just went through a heat wave here in California, and I had the misfortune of not having my bowl and branch sheets on the bed when that happened. And both of us were just sweating like crazy. And after the first night, it was supposed to be over 100 for the next three, four days. The bowl and branch sheets were dirty. And I just went ahead and washed them because we needed them on the bed. They're just so much more comfortable from a temperature standpoint. And so once again, with those on the bed, we're able to make our sleep count. What makes them unique is each sheet is crafted from 100% organic cotton. They feel incredible and look amazing. And because they sell exclusively online at Ball and Branch, you don't pay expensive retail markup. It's not going to do you any good to go to like Bed Bath & Beyond or something and try out the sheets. Like, are you really going to feel anything when you open up that weird packaging and unzip it and like touch your hand on it while it's stretched taut over those cards? cardboard things no you, you can't tell anything about the sheets there the better option is get yourself some bowl and branch sheets try them for 30 nights and see for yourself if you're not impressed return them for a full refund they have thousands of five-star reviews new york times forbes the wall street journal rave about them and even three u.s presidents have bowl and branch sheets so if you go to bowlandbranch.com today you can get 50 dollars off your first set of sheets plus free shipping in the u.s when you use that familiar promo code i ah, guess what it is cap space that's $50 off plus free U.S. shipping right now at bowlandbranch.com using that familiar cap space code spelled B-O-L-L and branch, bowlandbranch.com, promo code cap space. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L and branch.com, promo code cap space. Yeah, so you touched about Smith a, a little bit, and if you're more interested in hearing about our prospects for him, we, we talked about him extensively on our summer league review. We did a whole scouting report on him before the draft as well, so we don't need to talk about him too much. I mean, it's, I, I suffice it to say that I, I think we talked about this summer league. You're you're as high on him as everyone else is at this point after seeing him in summer league. I think he'll be the Mavericks' best rookie since Dirk. That's called damning with faint praise, but yeah, I think <laughs> I, I think he's going to be. Well, uh, actually, Josh else, Howard. Gonna... Josh Howard had a pretty nice rookie yeah, year. True, true. Still, we're, we're going back a ways there. Yeah. Um, and I would be willing to bet that uh, he will average significantly more points per game than Josh Howard did as a rookie, <laughs> which now you're making me look it up. Yeah, Josh Howard averaged 8.6. I'm willing to bet that Dennis Smith Jr. doubled that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he was starting by the playoffs. That's probably by the Yeah, point, but... he did start in the second half of that season. But no, I, I, I think they, for the first time in a long time, they've drafted an impact player. Uh, yeah, and I guess it remains to be seen... You you know, I think he's going to put up points, going to put up assists. I thought his playmaking actually was has always been mm -hmm. underrated. Well, not always, because actually he was known as a playmaker at the lower levels. And then in college, people kind of forgot about that, even though he led the AC in assists. I don't know why people forgot about that. But, uh, you know, whether defensively, whether he can be efficient, whether he can avoid mistakes, actually contribute to winning basketball, you know, that that's going to be the real question of, like, does he help the bottom line in terms of winning games? And I'm going to say probably not. I mean, there are very few rookies who actually do that really that much positive on the floor. But and, the and by the way, they probably would enjoy some growing pains of his costume games this year because uh, it's again do you want the 12th pick or do you want the 6th pick yeah I think they're actually I mean we're not there yet but I think they actually like could okay this year um, and <laughs> I mean, maybe they're going to try not to be. So uh, we'll get to that part. I, I want to steal the thunder for our prediction later. I think last year you actually had them higher than I'd so, uh, but uh, I think you had them low class. So I'm 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 not like a, an optimist necessarily about the team a lot of times. Uh, 
Um, so another guy that I wanted to talk about, because you and I, when we did this last year, they paid the max a three plus one, all the goodies for Harrison Barn. We were questioning whether that was a good contract or not, whether he was worth it. Mm-hmm. His year last year, I mean, I know they were 25th in offense, but I mean, there are times when he was really their only offensive option, especially earlier in the year when they just yep. score to save their lives. Like Harrison Barnes really outperformed probably like the 90th percentile of what you could have expected him this year. Oh, no question. At this point last year, the big question was, hey, is Harrison Barnes a guy who basically had everything created for him in Golden State as a complimentary player? You know, can he create his own stuff? And they ran ISO after ISO after. He was one of the best ISO scorers in the league last year. And, you know, he there's development to be had, but he, he was an efficient 19-point per game score. Um, you know, I mean, so I, certainly he exceeded most people's expectations. Now, you know, really I think the two areas that he needs to improve significantly in uh, as far as being uh, that sort of player, he, he has to be a better playmaker. Uh, you know, and it's not only about assists. You know, a lot of times it's hockey assists, but he, he has to become a better passer. He has to see the floor better, and I think that's something that maybe can – I mean, he's still only 25 years old. I think that's something that can come with being in those situations more often. And then, you know, for a guy who ran so many ISOs, he only went to the line 3.6 times per game. He, yeah. he has to be able to get to the line more often. You know, when, when you're shooting 47% from the floor, uh, that's efficient for, you know, the kind of score and, and the kind of situations they're putting him in. But really to become more efficient, I think the key is for him to get to the line more often. Yeah, I give you some stats on Barnes. 369 isolation possessions. That was 25% of his possession, 0.93 three-point possession, 70%. That's actually above what you could expect just in like a normal half-court possession as well. And every isolation obviously is half-court. So you're not like giving up a fast break and go ice. So that's very good relatively. And then in the post, uh, 0.99 point possession, that was an addition 18% of his offense. So he, he's basically self-creating 43% of his offense at a very efficient rate. And, it, you know, you said, I think, 70th percentile as far as ISO scores. You know, if, if you compare him to the high volume ISO guys, uh, he, he's certainly near the top of that. Yeah. And look, you know, I mean, they joke about it. He jokes with Dirk about it. Basically, the old Dirk playbook, the stuff that Dirk was running during the 2011 championship run, all those are Harrison Barnes plays now. You know, Dirk is a floor spacer at this point in his career, and they were running the offense through Harrison Barnes. Now, it'll be interesting to see uh, how much that changes this year with obviously Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, on board and, and, and a guy they want to build around and put the ball in his hand. But, you know, Barnes is, hey, is he the best player on a contender? No. It, second, third, preferably third, I would think. I don't I don't think he's an all-star. I don't think he's going to be an all-star. Um, but he, he's a 25-year-old who is a very good player, and, and the Mavericks are thrilled to have him and, and feel like he is a guy who can kind of, you know, continue the cold that that has been established over the years uh, with Dirk in terms of just being uh, a Jim Rat. And you know, I mean, the guy's basically a Boy Scout. He's the future governor of Iowa. Um, so <laughs> you, you could you could argue that uh, you know at a, at a max salary it, it's too much. But the Mavericks absolutely have zero buyer's remorse on that. Yeah, no, I mean, probably their only buyer's remorse is that it was a three plus one instead of a four year deal. But obviously they were competing with a number of other teams who are also willing to offer him that exact same deal at the time. Something. 
that people forget as well um yeah so barnes was solid i think the other thing too is that he played a lot of four um i mean yep. they've been playing dirk at center some too towards the end of the year once they figured out that bogut and dirk couldn't work together and but like carlisle is a master of all right you know one four pick and roll with barnes and now he's going to get the mismatch we're going to go to work you know especially when they were trying to slow it down they didn't have much else in terms mm-hmm. of offense and he had kind of failed in that role but that was playing more as a three under mark jackson and steve kerr you know like to move the ball around a little bit more when barnes was there and so they didn't really say hey we're going to try and get you a favorable matchup and let you go to work and uh, i mean he, he really improved though i mean even in the game the first game that they played in golden state barnes actually was like beating up draymond green who you know was like fired up trying guard him too uh so he's uh he, he really improved a ton uh how much of that was his work with uh god sham god you know uh, again the huge question on him was hey can he create off the dribble at all? And he, he not only created off the dribble, but, uh, but he did it efficiently and consistently. And I, I think God Sham God's got a lot to do with that. And, and look, it, it's not a coincidence that, you know, when Harrison Barnes is, is traveling the globe this summer, uh, you know, doing all these different camps overseas and, and uh, I don't know if Scott Shamgod went with him on his honeymoon, but I know <laughs> <laughs> I'm not certain on that one. But I know like the rest of his his, his trips and his you know as he's traveling the world, God Shamgod's right there with him, working him out every single day. That that has been a great relationship for both those guys. Yeah, because he couldn't dribble. That was like his biggest limitation. And then it, I remember mm-hmm. he had that terrible preseason last year, but he had one game oh, where yeah. he like went to his left, went behind his back to his right, pulled up for a three and made it. I was like, oh wow that's uh it's not something that we've seen before so it doesn't like that really worked out um so they didn't really add anyone to this team relative to last year who do you see as what, what, what's yeah. jeff with you chop liver uh, it could be a quality backup center although there's probably a reason they only guaranteed like 350k of his, of his salary <laughs> yeah, absolutely i'm sorry um, go on yeah yeah so so who do you think uh could improve uh, over their performance from last you know, I mean, can Barnes take another significant step? Obviously, last year with more opportunity, but also just the improvement we talked about. Uh, he, he was a much better player last year than he was the year before. Can he take another uh, another leap forward? Same with Seth Curry. I mean, Seth Curry was one of the great bargain signings of last summer. Now it's a contract year for him. Um, you know, I, I think ultimately what he is is, is a six-man type of guy. A I agree. combo-ish guard, but really more of an undersized two kind of a uh, uh you know i'll call him a, a jet light kind of guy um but you know he, he's going to get shots he's going to get opportunities he absolutely took advantage of them last year and and earned a significant role even in the starting a lot of games down the stretch um you know can can he continue that i think those are the two guys and and Nerland's noel you know uh he has to come in with his head screwed on straight he has to get over any kind of uh bruised ego or, or hurt feelings at the war due to the negotiation process process but you know he got a little taste of it last year was you know had a few months with the Mavericks um should have a full training camp preseason and you know the, this is obviously a huge year for him it's a contract year for him and he's going to have the opportunity to, to, to get more minutes than he's ever gotten in his career for himself and for this franchise he needs to make major strides yeah and it, it does the article that Chris wrote at least said like made it very clear and you know a lot of that coming his new camp Rich Paul that you know they're viewing they're not viewing viewing it that way like there it was a conciliatory tone in that article of hey you know this gives both sides a chance to evaluate each other a little bit more it sounds actually like it was a little bit more contentious based on what you're 
you're saying than it would have appeared um and i mean i think it was a tough position for happy because he probably did tell nerlens to take that that offer that four for 70 and nerlens is like no i'm not doing it you know i mean that's all what it seems like happened and so then you know happy made some comments about oh they haven't made a serious offer well you know he's doing that to try to steer the narrative because his client turned it down you don't really have a choice so i I don't really put it on him with that like uh you know oh he he like can't have it both ways because i think he just he had to do that for nerlens because that's what his client wanted well uh, yeah it's an agent's job to be full of shit on occasion yeah yeah (laughs) uh so yeah i mean i I do and nerlens i think was pretty was pretty good offensively 600 true shooting 18 percent usage like that's a a very valuable player and and it remains to be seen whether he can really deliver on the defensive potential uh his rookie year after he sat out his first year he helped a sixers team that was very limited get to like 12th in defense that year so we'll see whether he he can have that same type of fact i mean he has he has value as a long athletic rim protector who has the ability to defend well in switches Uh, you know that's pretty rare to be a guy who can protect the rim and hold his own when he has to switch on the guards and pick and rolls and then and, you know that's the type of versatility he has but he has to put it together he has to stay healthy you know there, there have been maturity concerns about Nerlens over the course of his career and, and perhaps that played a role in his disappointing uh, negotiations this summer so you know there's a lot of question marks there but he, there's still also a lot of talent you know he, he's still a a long springy guy who uh not just when we talk about athleticism so much you know we're thinking of explosiveness and you know leaping ability but you know his lateral quickness is pretty rare for a guy who's that size yeah i I think that's right although last thing on the negotiation quick rule of thumb for a player if you got traded for their Mm -hmm. you're shopped around the whole league for a year and then you get traded for justin anderson and a couple second rounders you're probably not going to get the max justin anderson a couple second rounders and the right to pay andrew bogut go away yeah (laughs) you know i mean come on uh oh yeah and by the way i guess we forgot about josh mcroberts as a newcomer as well Uh, what an interesting deal that was a mutual salary dump very rare i love two year dump for the mavs and and they uh and a one year dump for the heat the heat got off money this year the Mavs got off money next year and they made 5.1 million dollars off too and got a second round true actually i I love that yeah and Uh, look that was a situation where the mavericks had cap space knew they weren't going to be determined aggressive shoppers this summer and were able to to you know use it to their to their advantage and nothing that fans are going to be excited about but a nerd like you you know you you give high high reviews <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, what about regression candidate last year? Well, you know, Wesley Matthews really hasn't, uh, you say regression, he obviously hasn't been the player that he was uh, in Portland pre-Achilles. Um, he's a he's a 3 and D guy, you know, he's been a 36% three-point shooter for the Mavericks. Um, he's been a solid defender, I would say a good defender. Um, but, you know, wrong side of 30, uh, obviously has that, that Achilles injury history and, and has been a heavy minutes player i would say there's there, you know he would be a guy you could circle uh dirk is damn near 40 <laughs> you know it, he's absolutely a candidate for regression and obviously he's not the player that he once was but um when he's been healthy he's, he's still been a productive player uh you know last year uh 14 points per game you know uh, w- with a slow start you know if he can still be that i mean look dirk's got a chance if he, if he does play two more years with on his deal he's got a chance to uh to pass will but um you know you have to look at, at dirk as a candidate for regression and, and certainly they need to keep his minutes in the mid-20s and, and not count too much on him um so i would say those are the those are the two primary guys and you know kind of the two uh 
well, you know, and we can talk about Beret and, and Devin Harris, bench players. Yeah. But yeah, Dirk and West are the two guys who uh, you would say the the arrow is is not pointed up on their careers. You think West opts into that uh, that eighteen million for next year? Uh, if you were his agent, what would you advise? Yeah, I, I would probably say yes. I, I mean, especially yeah. because he, there are other two guards as well who are going to be in that market that are going to be well ahead of him in the pecking order. I mean, one thing that I did say that I thought maybe could happen, especially if the Mavs have free agents in their sight, would be that he could do something similar to like Richard Jefferson did in San Antonio back in, I think, 2010, where he opts out with the understanding that maybe he come, comes back, sign, you know, for three years, $30 million, instead of, you know, that one year, $18 million that he's got left, like some sort of an arrangement. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. The, the Mavericks do, they love Wes. You know, they, they value him as a culture guy for sure. Uh, you know, as a as a good influence on their younger players, and they would love nothing more than for Dennis Smith Jr. to attach himself to Wes's hip, although they also put Harrison Barnes and obviously Dirk in that same category. Um, but it, but if you're Wes, you're going to leave $18 million, uh, on the table? I, I wouldn't. Yeah. I, I mean, to, to me, um, with the, the way that next year's market looks, he, he might not get eight. You know, it might be a three-year, eighteen million dollar deal that he ends up signing. Obviously, that math doesn't work for him. Yeah. Well, I think the idea would be, hey, we want to get, we really want to use cap space this year because it's right. going to go further. So we'll overpay you slightly over three years, as opposed to just having you do this last year. You know, to offer him. I mean, that's kind of the carrot that you would have to offer him to opt. Right. But we'll we'll see whether that happens. I, I'm not saying it's a likely scenario, but they they might consider. Um. So what do you? think uh rick carlisle's frontime lineup is going to be this is an interesting one now with <laughs> i Dirk's don't think it'll be consistent right I, yeah. I, I don't think it'll be consistent <clears throat> you know obviously when there's often defense substitutions i think we know where dirk will be on the defensive end of that but uh, i don't see dirk sitting out crunch time on a regular basis I'll, I'll put it to you like that and by the way you say what's his crunch time starting or what's his crunch time lineup going to be uh what's the starting lineup going to be yeah and does does Nolan's noel start uh he, he didn't start on, on a consistent basis last year you know they, they started a lot of games with Dirk at center Harrison Barnes at the four you know if you wanted to go say <clears throat> Dennis Smith Jr. with Seth Curry in the backcourt west of the three and that, that's a, a look they used a lot last year so that'll be interesting um but again I I don't think it's going to be as simple as saying hey this is the Mavs finishing five on, on a regular basis I think that's going to vary game by game um with Harrison Barnes being a constant I would say Dirk, aside from the offense, defense substitutions being a constant. Um, and, you know, I, I think you have to put Dennis Smith Jr. there, even yeah. if he's making mistakes that are costing you games. Because, again, look, the Mavericks aren't – it ain't about this year. It's about the long-term future with that kid. So you absolutely – his growing pains, I would say, are a good thing for the Mavericks this year. If he cost the Mavericks five games because he's making mistakes in crunch time, but he learned from them, that is a best-case scenario. Scenario. Not a worst case scenario. That's a best case scenario. I will push back on that lightly because if they do want to get into the free agent market, like, you know, being awful could hurt them a little bit just in terms of the perception. I mean, I, I for me, I agree with you just with their internal development. Yeah, why not just worse? But there is a little bit of a perception loss that you have to deal with if you're just, you know, not competitive and, and you win, you know, if you win 38 games, you look better. You're like, oh, we're really close to the playoffs as opposed to right. winning 33 games. And it's like, hey, you know, why do you want it? Why do I want to come? here there is a little bit of it yeah i mean i, I see your point there um uh, i see your point there but i think money <laughs> money talks loudly in free agency the mavericks will have more than the vast majority of teams and i think that uh you know the reputation of rick carlisle i mean 
this guys know there's a winning coach here. Um, but again, I, to me, it, the whole thing is about the potential of Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, if he costs you some games because he's a 19 year old yeah. kid playing and if crunch he looks time awesome, minutes, that's, fine. that's more important. It's more important that he look awesome than that they win five games. Right? Exactly. And, and exactly. it seems like it seems like the Mavs too are just you know they're on board with that your, your way of thinking, obviously. And I'm sure you're you're informed by by conversations that you've had with them because you know they had their mid level exception and they didn't use it this you know they could have even on a one-year deal they could have gotten players who might have helped a little bit and they said no we're going to try to just you know move forward here with internal yeah and look maybe that's something that that they are able to use in some way shape or form as year goes on but again they they weren't aggressive shoppers this summer and and obviously that's a complete shift in philosophy uh from what's been going on since their their championship season when they decided to strip down the roster and uh you know and, and go all in with cap space we all know that plan did not come to fruition as they hoped they didn't get Dwight Howard. They didn't get uh, Chris Paul. And, and once they got Darren Williams, it wasn't the D-wheel that, that, that they were bidding on in the first place. Um, but, hey, the Warriors are light years ahead. Yeah. And the Mavericks are on, you know, they're, they're not the worst team in the Western Conference, but they're, you know, they're not a playoff team at this point. They understand that. So as great as the Warriors are, there's no rush. You might as well take your time and, and, and rebuild the right way for the first time in a long time. They, they haven't been rebuilding since Cuban bought the team, you know? I mean, it's been damn near two decades. And really, last time they were rebuilding, uh, Dirk couldn't grow a beard. <laughs> well, he, he probably shouldn't grow even now. Uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, going back to the starters, it's just, it's so difficult to fit in around Dirk at this point because he's obviously a defense liability in any position, but especially at power forward with the, the way the game has changed and in a way that right. actually, ironically enough, is kind of responsible for making it happen. You know, he used to be such a difficult matchup problem at power forward that like no power forwards could guard him and now it's evolved to where he can't even play power forward he's, he's too slow to do that anymore so he really has to play center defensively mm-hmm. and if you're playing him together with Nerlens, it's a tough fit that Nerlens basically his basket protection is kind of wasted he's got to get all the way out three-point line probably and guard and so yeah it does become difficult to put together a lineup i mean you can either go with barnes of the three where he's also less effective as well right. when he's being being guarded uh by players match up with his iso game a bit better and dirk at four and Nerlens at five and then you've got Smith at the one Matthews at the two I mean that's probably their best defensive lineup I guess but then you know Seth Curry they Carlisle's had success going with smaller guards and Wes Matthews can guard most three as well and Barnes more effective at four so I think, I think they probably will want to just alternate uh Dirk and Nerlens at center a lot of the time and you know maybe those guys try to play together a little bit but you're right I think it's it's a very difficult fit and then you know Dwight Powell I assume is going to fit in there in some way too he actually probably had a better year than people thought but well yeah just slightly for a guy who's not a consistent rotation player and you know solid measure yeah. you know he's he's a, a guy who you know I, I think it'll be interesting to see what the market is for him next season or next summer rather uh but for for a minimum salary guy you know he, he's a shot blocker um and you know he, he'll, someone should try to not... trade for him actually i think like a team that needs some center depth like i think he would actually be a really nice fit on Boston. As oh a, no question as a yeah a, a playoff team that, that needs a uh kind of an energy rim protector type of guy you know he's, he's not ever going to be a 30 35 minute guy but if you need somebody to, to protect the rim and give you energy and piss people off for 15 minutes a game i think Salah's good in that role but no I, I agree dirks i think last year just looking at basketball reference uh they say exactly 50 50 power forward center i was a little surprised you know that that's sometimes it's a little wonky um i felt like the majority of his minutes certainly in the second half of the season at least came at center that that's what i expect this year and it, it's 
got, you know, it's like you said, today's NBA, um, first of all, so a lot of the power forwards are Harrison Barnes type of guys. Right. You know, they're, 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 they're basically small forwards. And, you know, Dirk's not guarding guys who can who can go well, off the dribble. And he also can't ISO really any, you know, he's he No, he's a spacer. Yeah, no, yeah, he's so, 30 so he's freaking gonna, nine years old. Right, right. You so know, he's he damn can't near my beat age. those guys up the way he used to be able to in the post. And, like, you know, he can't put the ball on the floor anymore. But he's still no. a great pick-and-pop player. Right, he's a pick-and-pop player. And he's a, a weak side floor spacer to, to, you know, to give Barnes room to work, to give Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, room to work now. Um, but, and, and, you know, he's obviously... <laughs> not a rim protector especially at this advanced age but I think it is a lot easier to hide him at the five and, and it's funny what you see sometimes especially when he's starting at center is you will see teams try to, to beat him up on the block and it's like hey that's that's one thing he can't I mean he can be seven feet tall 245 pounds and you know kind of not give up position and you know and, and I remember like last Just year put him in pick uh, and roll if you're going to attack him exactly like, him. I, yeah I remember last year it was the Wizards came to Dallas and it was you know early in, in the Dirk as a starting center uh, phase and like three times early in the game they went to Gortat on the block and it's like if you want to completely abandon your entire offensive system to give freaking Gortat post touches have at it please yeah. you know if you want John Wall and Bradley Beal to dump it down to Gortat put a finger in their nose while he throws up an awkward <laughs> hook shot fine please you know the Mavericks will send you an invitation for that. So, yeah, and really, look around the league. How many legit stud post-up centers are there now? They're, they're dinosaurs. Those sure. those guys barely exist. And Dirk's probably better at guarding those guys than Noel is. Noel's actually like a little light in the short uh, for that role. But mm-hmm. uh, what do you see as like the big strengths of the team that, uh, that Rick Carlisle is going to be able to <laughs> His brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, coaching. You know, it's certainly up there. Yeah, uh, coaching. Um, they are actually transitioning to, to being – an athletic team, which obviously is something we haven't said about the Mavericks for a long, long time. But Dennis Smith Jr. is without question, uh, you know, he walks into the league as one of the most athletic point guards in the league. Now, obviously, you talk about Russell Westbrook and John Wall, but we're talking about a kid with a 48-inch vertical. So, you know, he, he's up there uh, in the elite class in terms of athleticism. Nerlens Noel is an elite athlete as a center. You know, Barnes is an athletic guy. Um, so, athleticism. Um, other than that, I mean, Geez, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think we've covered the strength. Uh, one that really point, pops out to me on offense, and it'll probably be a little muted with rookie point guard this year, but turnover avoided. They, Dirk never <clears> turns <throat> it over. Barnes, part of why he was so efficient, he turned it yep. over on only 6% of his possessions last year. You've got a lot of guys who don't do much except like just spot up as well. They grind it to a halt. They go, they're not playing like the beautiful game, like pinging it around. At least they weren't last year. You know, a lot of simple stuff. They go to work and while they don't maybe get the most amazing shot, they at least avoid turning it over and that was pretty important because uh they're never going to get to the foul line maybe smith again could help with that a little bit because he'll yeah. get the foul line a lot as guard and, and barnes needs to improve there for sure yeah yeah and then uh you know and dirk doesn't get to the foul anymore and then they're never ever going to get an offense bound. the team was 30th last season in offense bound rate that's just not they don't have <laughs> yeah, the that, that that's one aspect of the game that dirk does not contribute as a center for sure <laughs> yeah yeah he had a 1.8 percent offensive rebound rate last year <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, 28% defense. Rate. And that was something. He's still a defense, decent defensive yeah. rebounder. You know, yeah. he has been for his entire career. And look, offensive rebounding, it's hard to be, you know, it's hard to grab offensive rebounds out of three point line. Yeah. This is also really surprising. I never would have thought this. They were number one in forcing turn offense. Huh. That's like absolutely shocking. Like, who on this team is like some great steals guy? And it could be that they just, one thing that I've done a little bit of research on, not that much, I don't do much of this, is that the idea that turnovers that aren't steals um, and or shot clock violation are basically locked that you're just you know it's the other team just throwing it away and you don't really control that as a team that's just kind of unforced errors that happen um yeah and so they may have really benefited from that because you know there's nobody on this team where you look at them and you're like oh man these guys have like some unbelievable yeah i'm looking rate. right now wesley matthews yogi farrell seth curry each average 1.1 steal per game that led the team yeah. you know noel is a center who has steal per game you know but yeah it, it, yeah it's not like they've got they've got gary payton out there yeah i mean they've got a lot of guys who are just kind of like slightly above average steel guys like noel is really good devin harris uh dwight powell actually led in steel prize enough uh, actually hmm. tied with noel two big guys actually uh, well that's good for dwight because he doesn't block shot yeah yeah so that's uh so i don't expect them to be that good but i thought that was like a statistical anomaly that like made my eyes like pop out of my head you don't think of them that way although they did defend pretty well average to, to have a guy playing dirk that much at a big position and be average defensively is pretty good mm-hmm. oh you know who we should have talked about as a rush game we haven't even mentioned guys yet this this guy was fourth on the team in minutes last year uh dorian finney smith and he had an awful summer league you and i were Man. sitting together watching him just rick these i mean and smith was getting him like wide open threes every time he was yeah. passing up shots wasn't making no, it smith, real ugly. smith's assist totals if you didn't watch the games weren't that impressive in the summer league but when you saw the shots he was creating uh and and not just finney smith but brusina who the mavericks moved on from um but you know dorian finney smith is a three and d guy without three yeah uh and he, he's an nba athlete that there's no question about that but you know he was a 29 percent three-point shooter uh last year and you know there was a month and i'm trying to look it up now because i know you're a nerdy nerd who who likes to have your uh your, your numbers and facts actually presented to you but there was a month where he actually shot three uh extremely well i'm looking at in january i say extremely actually december and january you know he's 37 percent 37 and a half percent and then it just fell apart on him. And, you know, what What happened was uh, Rick loves to tinker with guys' shots. He loves to, to, to you know, work on guys' mechanics. And, you know, he, he was tweaking Finney Smith's mechanics, and he just – completely lost it and hadn't gotten it back i mean i'm not such a dork i'm look up his summer league shooting totals but they were they were oh, yeah he was like three <laughs> out of 25 on three like something yeah. just incredibly off that they're, they're, and, like and you know 20%. yeah and uh, again if if he can become an average three-point shooter 33 34 percent three-point shooter i think he's going to have a, a long nba career um but that would be significant improvement than what he is now and, and at this point i don't think he can be a rotation player and you know only a second year player already 24 years old though uh not much guaranteed money i i don't think he's a lot for the roster yeah i mean I, I think they need him just because they don't really have any other wing depth you know if, if barnes or matthews goes down like they, they don't have anyone else guard those really unless getting about somebody with, with justin anderson gone now right so maybe they just keep him around just for that reason but i i agree with you i think it's uh he'll regress in the sense that he's not going to be fourth on the team a minute again and i think that's actually a big reason why i think they'll be better this year just because they're 
not playing a guy who shoot 29 cent from three you know the fourth most minutes on the team and doesn't contribute anything else on offense i think their offense i expect to be significantly improved this year 25th rank yeah i think you know having a point guard who with the explosiveness of dennis smith jr you know i mean the, he might not shoot a great percentage he might turn it over a lot but he's gonna get bucket uh all right you ready to give uh your espn sanctioned official uh mavericks that prediction here? i make that joke every guess probably stop uh <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know if espn is sanctioning this for me yeah oh and for reference by the way uh last year uh, i had 38 and you did not give mm-hmm. a specific number you you said uh loaf and they uh, well blow okay first of all i didn't think dirk was gonna miss the first two months so i'm gonna claim that my prediction was uh was on the money um okay. I, I i think they are just because i mean you look at the western conference and my goodness so many sheesh so, so many teams in the west got better the mavericks uh did not, aside from uh, the, the draft pick, I, I think they are about what they were last year. I think they're a 33, 34, 35 win team. Um, you know, they get another lottery pick. They need to hit on that and, you know, kind of off they go with the rebuild process. But th- it's not a, hey, the best case scenario for this team is uh, Dennis Smith Jr.'s point per game total is pretty close to their win total. <laughs> That's, uh, well, that, that would be crazy if he ever just went I'm really interested to see how they're going to play the, like, how much of it is going to be the ISO stuff? How much pick and roll is he really going to run? You know, I think it would actually be good for him to not play too many minutes, especially because coming off of that ACL, you know, I think if they keep him 30 minutes or below, I mean, just for like his long-term health, I actually think that'd be good. Like that's the biggest, my biggest worry with him. I heard some varying things about him in the pre-draft process as far as like what his level of health was. Um, but just that crazy. Well, he jumps like a healthy style. guy. <laughs> yes. No. That's you know, true. If he, if he, I'd hate to see how high he can jump if he's healthy. Yeah. No, I, from a more like just long long-term wear and tear or suffering another injury i mean i think you know he kind of reminds me of derrick rose in a lot of ways including as well he's probably actually a more explosive dunker than derrick rose well was. if you ask him for for uh, for a comp say you know who do you think your game's like he, he'll tell you derrick rose with a jump shot he doesn't like and he can that. pass better than derrick rose too i mean now I, I don't i mean he's probably you know rose probably was more explosive off dribble you know just faster off dribble maybe than he mm-hmm. is um you know i'm not expecting him to have this like rose did but i i do worry that that just guys who are just so nuclear athletic like he is where you just you put yourself in positions a lot of time where maybe your body just can't handle stress of landing uh and i think there's russell westbrook is probably the one guy maybe john wall is another where mm-hmm. they can uh you know those guys have managed to make it the early part of their career without getting injured I've seen some other guys like that being most obvious one where they weren't quite able to be that level player up. right and, and and even russ you know russ has knee surgeries it's just sure. you would never know watching him now yeah no i mean his, his recovery has been pretty remarkable so uh, all right uh, i'll give my prediction first actually uh i think uh, assuming i can even come close nailing you down here i'll try to do a better job of that than i did last year uh i think they're gonna get to 36 win um that's a little bit over their over under they won 33 last year their point differential was equivalent to that and i don't really see a reason why they wouldn't be better here i think they're gonna have a full season in Orleans. he'll give them more at center than they got last year with bogut barely playing and then just you know a bunch of backup guys really playing it more at center hopefully they'll get more minutes out of dirk this year although i'm not sure how many minutes he can play and whether that's actually you know he might even get to the point where he's not helping out here uh you know i think smith it can be as good as what they got last year at point guard seth curry will play more they'll have a full year of yogi ferrell and i think they'll just you know they're not going to have that four and 17 start and i think they'll play kind of more along the line what they did after that so and i 
don't think they'll tank necessarily at the end of the year either but uh but they're going to still be playing you know guys like noel and Smith. so i think they can be a little bit better I, you know i'm not going to say they're going to tend for a playoff spot but it wouldn't completely shock me if they got to like 40 41 win and maybe like some of those other teams that are in that mix around there and you know maybe they out in their point different together like that wouldn't shock me i i you're i, I it sounds like you're going to disagree but i think they actually could maybe be a threat to get in the lower end yeah i don't i don't think they're a threat i don't think that's the plan and, and you say yeah. you don't know that they'll be tanking in the year eh, i think we'll see some 10-day contract type <laughs> of, uh, players out there uh, at the end of the year um I, you know 34 i'll give you 34 wins i'll they'll improve by a win but i still think that they've got a top 10 pick in next year's draft and and again i think that's uh what is in the best interest of this franchise you know they did i i forgot that what they did down the end of last year where they signed quincy ac and quinn cook and manny harris and ben Bentel no quincy ac was was on the team early in the year oh that's I mean, right you, yeah but they, if you look at uh right. you know the game that they the game that they won in memphis the yeah. last game of the regular season where, where Memphis had just absolutely uh, nothing to play for. It was, uh, you, you, you could call that the DeAndre Liggins era. That's the right, one yeah. game that The one game that DeAndre Liggins played uh, for the Mavericks. And I'm telling you, like, if you looked at and, and like, yeah, he was like, I don't even know if they had shoot around that morning. He was like fresh off the street. Uh, their starting five in that game was Yogi Ferrell, Nicholas Brusino, Dwight Powell, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Nerd Noel. Uh, Liggins played 24 minutes off the bench in that game. Jared Utah played 19 minutes. A.J. Hammonds played a dozen minutes. <laughs> that was, uh, you know, they, they left Wes, Wesley Matthews, Dirk, Harrison Barnes. They left those guys at home. Uh, that was, uh, there was no intention by the Mavericks to win that game. It's not like you can tell guys like a Utah or a Liggins or, you know, any of these other guys who are really fighting to stay in the league. Hey, don't play hard. Um, but yeah, Jared Utah was plus 15 in his 19 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I shudder to think who they must have been going against for Memphis. Um, <laughs> Poor right, Tony so, Allen so can got I get... hurt in that game. Yeah. It, was, it was the end of his uh, end of his Grizzlies career. Sad way to end it. Oh yeah, that's right. Well, oh Tony Allen, I, I have a theory he might. No, not going to happen. Oh yeah, this is actually a good thing to ask you about. So, so this is my theory, which you're about to debunk based on that uh, that noise you made. Was that they once they get Jamichael Green worked out, they would offer him whatever they have left under the tap. That that was my. I mean, guess. that would be but, a that would be a reversal. I mean, I'm not telling you there's zero chance because I don't have super fresh information, but uh, that would be a, a change of plan. Um, my understanding is that only on the minimum, and I don't you know as much as he loves memphis that's a slap in his face and if he's yeah. going to play for the minimum i think it's much more likely that he plays for doc rivers or, or tib and you know could probably help either of those teams yeah i mean that's because what i was saying was like it doesn't make sense that he hasn't signed anywhere yet i mean even if he's only getting minimum offer his only offers are minimum and and at, my understanding is at this point he, he's not ready to swallow his pride that much to take a minimum not saying he won't but uh you know he's not a happy camper someone should offer him that he's worth more than I, I think he i agree is still just to he's one of 20 guys in the league who can guard anybody on the wing like i don't care how bad his offense 
bucks. Like that's worth worth me. Yeah. Like, even so, if, again, if he's if playing him for 15 minutes a night, or even if you just you know specific matchups that you you know kind of saving him up for. But he's also you know people wonder well how were the how have the Grizzlies consistently been so good during crunch time? Well, it helps that you know you you know the teams are going to be running stuff for their go-to guys. It helps that you've got a a, a pit bull who you can sick on their go-to guys uh, who's going to basically disrupt everything they're trying to do. And he like I understand he's 35, maybe he can't bring it every night, but he the game that they won in Golden State where they like gave up came back when he down mm-hmm. like he just completely throttled Golden State off. He just shows up places that you never expect him to get steals. He might have had like six steals in that game or something. I'll tell you this: if I were Minnesota, I would have much rather given him the contract that Jamal Crawford got. I hear that. I mean, that's and again, I I, I him, still think still. I, I still the, the two I did hear the two teams that had shown significant interest in him were Minnesota and the Clippers. I, I don't know that he can get anything more than the minimum from either, but yeah, I would say if the. You know, my my money would still be on him landing in one of those spots. Well, I think like it's New Orleans doesn't have much left to offer either. I mean, I think they're still pretty close to the hard cap even after they've done Pondexer. But I mean, that's another one should could have hopefully found way. You know, I would have much rather had him than Rondo. You know, on that <sighs> and just yeah, the whole Rondo Holiday combo thing is strange. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, all right, best case scenario for these guys, we kind of hit it on already. I think for them, it's you know, forty two win maybe. Um, I'm guessing you probably see it as, as like you know 38 or something uh again i think uh, to, to, let's discuss the definition of best case yeah yeah i don't think uh, okay. their best case is, is somehow sneaking into the playoffs as an eight seed and getting swept by golden state warriors i i think their best case is losing close games where dennis smith jr plays well but you know is clearly learning on the job and uh they end up with a you know six or seventh pick and get another really promising young player to pair with them yeah it's tough because you'd think if they do get into playoff Intention. Part of the reason is because Smith is awesome, right? So, like, oh, he'd have to be for sure. Yeah. So maybe that's a, enough. But I, I agree. I mean, it would be nice for them to get into the lottery and get one more maybe foundational piece, and then also then have the the cap space at the same right. time for next year. And, and it'll be interesting to see where they can go with that. Um, yeah. And then worst case, you know, I could see him like 28, 29 wins, something like that for me. And I'm guessing you are, again are going to be lower. I just it's hard for me to see how a Carlisle. No, I, I, yeah, I, I I do agree with you on that. I mean, they're not going to be. Uh, you know, down there with the absolute. You know, they're, they're not going to be competing with the with the Nets for the top overall pick or anything anything along those lines. All right, man. Well, we have uh, kept you for long enough here. We appreciate your coming on. Uh, Tim actually wrote a great piece about a month ago with the help of uh, Bobby Mark talking about that 2018 market that we have been uh, discussing here. So I recommend you guys read that and uh, your Twitter. Refresh my memory, Tim. ESPN underscore McMahon. That's right. I knew it was ESPN McMahon. I couldn't whether you had uh, one of those or not. Um, all right. Well, thanks again. The for underscore is on. critical. Yeah. <laughs> I guess ES regular just ESPN McMahon was taken or what? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just goes to show that the choices that we make can last a lifetime. There you go. I'm, I'm stuck with it now. <laughs> Except for when I first started, I had this blog called the Team Rebound. And so that was my name until I got signed with Basketball Insiders because I didn't want like, you know, people at work like finding me and thinking that I was like screwing off like this like, career. You know, what ended up happening. You don't want to get fired from the law firm, huh? Yeah. No, and then, uh, then I ended up quitting, thankfully. There you go. A L- little bit happier. I could be at work right now lamenting that the holiday that uh, I'm <laughs> talking to you. And I think I think we all know where I would rather be. Well, if talking to me is better than work, then, man, you must have been miserable. <laughs> so a quick break before we get to Stefan No of The Athletic to talk about the Bulls. 
to let you know about the beautifully styled minimalism of movement watches. MVMT.com slash Capspace is your URL to get 15% off. They're already great prices. Their watches start at just $95. And that's before that 15% off discount. It's a fraction of what department store brands typically charge. I have not been a watch guy for a long time. I hadn't had one since I had like a watch stolen out of a gym locker when I was like 20 years old. And I had a cell phone. I just never bothered to replace it because it just didn't seem worth it. My cell phone could tell me what time it was. And to get a watch I liked was like going to be 500 bucks. Then I found out about movement watches. And now three or four of my family members have them. My girlfriend has one. She loves it, wears it every day. I like their 40 series, which is a, a little bit smaller face that works well for me. My mom bought one, bought some as presents for my cousins. And if you're an international listener, this is a great chance to support the show. They have sold over a million watches in over 160 countries. So what do you get started with them again? MVMT.com, movement.com slash capspace. Get that 15% off today. Doesn't matter how many order, you're going to get that 15% off plus free shipping and free returns. That's MVMT.com, movement.com slash capspace. Join the movement. Time for the Chicago Bulls after the Jimmy Butler trade. Looking like uh, uh, interesting might be (laughs) interesting in the way that you say things are interesting when you don't want to say anything bad type of season (laughs) for the Chicago Bulls Uh, coming up here. I'm joined by a first-time guest on the podcast, someone who's done great work uh, first for Bloggable and and also now for The Athletic, uh, whose career I followed closely, a rising star, uh, Stefan No, How are you, man? I'm doing great, Nate. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, I, I think the place place to start uh, with this Bulls team is uh, you know how good they were last year may not be too instructive overall because obviously they lost Jimmy Butler uh, by all accounts a top 15 player in the NBA but uh, one of the big problems of course that they had last year was that they were terrible whenever Butler was off the floor fortunately for them that was only 1147 minutes uh but they had a negative 7.1 net rating when he was off the floor so over under negative 7.1 net rating for the Bulls yet year this year I mean is there reason to think that they can be better than they were when he was off the floor last year or you know could it be even worse yeah I think that translates roughly to like a 22 win team if I looked that up the other day I can't remember off the top of my head but uh that's right in line with the Vegas over under which is a move to 22.5 from an open of 21.5 I think that the Bulls uh they should be a little bit better in those minutes I mean they did pick up some players uh Zach Levine he's gonna be out probably until uh maybe like January I think is uh what people are estimating right now although he is fighting to come back earlier uh you you know, they, they picked up Laurie Markkinen in the draft, who looked tremendous in his Eurobasket debut yesterday, although he was kind of uh, mediocre in Summer League. And then, uh, you know, some other veteran players like uh, Justin Holiday and Quincy Pondexter, although he might not play at all, don't really know what his story is yet. So I think that they uh, they definitely improved some of the supporting cast, which they really struggled with. Uh, they're, they're not going to, you know, be able to replace Butler, obviously. Uh, they're going to be pretty bad, but I think that they were just so they're starting from such a low point in those minutes they had without Butler that they'll be a little bit better. All right, so so you think they will be better than a, a negative seven point one net rating? I, I'm not sure how I feel about that yet. I have a, we this is going to come out after it, but I haven't as of this moment decided whether I want to go over or under on uh, that Bulls line for this season. Uh, so let's talk about who they brought in this year and of course uh, who they're missing as well. That Nikola Mirotic still out there as a restricted free agent. I think we'll 
for our purposes here, we'll make the assumption that he'll return in some fashion, whether it's on the qualifying offer or a longer term deal. They did just make that deal for Pondexter, but the big appeal there was cash and a, a second round pick from the Pels and they brought in Justin Holiday, uh, who had a, a nice run a little bit ago then was included in the Derek Rose trade he's back uh, and then also uh, re-signed Cristiano Felicio and uh, brought in of course Chris Dunn, Markkinen and, and Zach Levine uh, what do you think uh, th- those guys how are they going to fit in I mean uh, who's going to start at point guard who's going to start at the three uh, those are the two big positional battles that I see here for this team yeah so the, the candidates aren't really that strong for any of those positions uh, Cameron Payne might have made a case but I, I listened to your um most recent podcast, you guys mentioned that injury news that he's going to be out for, I think, the first month of the season. And who knows like what his long-term career is after third injury to that foot. And, yeah. uh, I could see them just declining his rookie option, actually. Yeah, Sam Vecini, uh, he actually had a, a pretty good piece for the Athletic Chicago where he suggested the Bulls should do exactly that. It's pretty pretty rare to do that for a fourth-year guy. But I think next year, like they, they kind of already know what they have in pain. Uh, he hasn't shown anything. So I would not be surprised at all if they decline that fourth-year option on him yeah I, a, really the only reason not to because he's not gonna be back by then you know he's been plagued by these right foot issues uh Casey Johnson reporting today that he, he was in a walking boot and then that that failed to heal the issue and so now he had to go for I think this is now the third surgical procedure that he's had on that foot and I, I think that's probably the right move frankly and I mean even if you they would still have be able to sign him for what he would have made and I think the odds of him breaking out to where they couldn't even offer him like uh, you know enough just in terms of like the three million or whatever he was going to make in his fourth year to, to bring him back are pretty low and i mean they're not going to see him before they have to decide the, the deadline being uh october 31st uh so pain is out of the mix I and mean, you have to imagine dunn will have the inside track right yeah really right now it's a two-way race between dunn and jerry and grant so grant started a bunch of games for the bulls last season and he was okay in that role he really improved his three-point percentage uh but it was not on a lot of attempts so not sure how much you can really take from that and then when the bulls kind of needed him to step up in the playoffs when Rajon Rondo got injured. Grant just completely disappeared. I mean, he even struggled to like bring the ball up the court and, and uh, they had to cut his minutes for Isaiah Cannon, who is not even on the team anymore. They waived him. So that just shows you like how badly the Bulls struggled in those point guard minutes last year. As far as Dunn goes, um, he only played one summer league game before he had to uh, leave for some sort of family situation. And he was not good in that game. He was not good for the Timberwolves last year but I mean he's the guy who was number five overall pick last year I know you're not super high on him but you know I think that there's still like a a small chance that he could kind of live up to that potential so I think the Bulls are going to give him uh the first shot and try to see what they have in this guy yeah if you look at it being between Grant and Dunn it really was not close Grant was the far superior player in any statistical measure last year maybe you could say Dunn was better defensively I mean that's the one thing where I do have uh, some optimism for him that he can be pretty good on defense but the numbers were just eye-poppingly bad 8.1 per 43 percent true shooting never got to the foul line it did done 14 percent usage turned it over on 21 percent of his possessions i mean really the three percent steal rate was just about the only thing he did well uh in the box score and well he did look good defending and, and even in that one summer league game i thought he defended pretty well you know a defensive specialist is not why they made that trade and 
you know, I know you've looked at his season last year. If in fact, you know, you mentioned that you think that there's some possibility that he could still fulfill that potential. And I mean, even I'm not even talking about him being like, you know, a star like maybe some people thought he was, but just to get to the point where he's even, you know, a low end starter, I think would be great progress for him at this point. But if that does occur offensively, how do you think he gets there? Well, he's got to improve his shooting and Fred Hoiberg is the shooting coach for the Bulls along with his head coach duties he's been working with Dunn on that shot this summer um yeah I mean you mentioned his his shooting statistics his true shooting percentage was awful I mean he really was not good at the rim either he didn't shoot well from any spot on the floor last year so he's got to improve his offense I wrote something uh during the offseason about how I thought that he could develop into maybe like a Marcus Smart type player and uh, I think some people mistook that for like me thinking that his floor was Marcus Smart it's more like I think a, a reasonable ceiling might be Marcus Smart and that's like a pretty useful player on a roster but he still needs a lot of work to get to that point well, it's real. It's interesting that you mentioned Smart because Smart was someone that I thought coming out of college was going to be one of the more athletic point guards. I, I completely misevaluated him. He, I thought he was going to be able to run pick and roll, get to the line, finish at the rim. That's what everyone thought about Dunn as well. And that really, more than the shooting struggles, the big issue for me with him is just he looks like just a guy out there athletically with the ball in his hands. Like he, you can't think of like one wild play that he made all last year. He had seven dunks. Yeah, I mean, he had that one play, but I think where he like threw the ball around the guy and went and got it against Portland but that's like I think that was just lucky and he just recovered the ball uh and so you just don't see any kind of pop from this guy he was supposed to be someone coming out who's gonna take his place among some of the great athletes that we have at the point guard position and that just hasn't been there and so I mean I don't think he's ever gonna be like a plus shooter he can get better at shooting maybe that's possible but if he's not the dominating athlete, then I really don't see a way for him to, to be successful, at least to the level that you'd expect, given that pedigree is a number five pick. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, the one positive that you can take away from Dunn is uh, he really struggled to get to the basket when he was on the Timberwolves last year. And at least in that one, I mean, it's just one game, but that one summer league game that he did play, he was able to uh, drive and get a bunch of layups. He was not able to finish very well on those, but at least he was able to penetrate to the basket it a little bit and he's gonna get plenty of opportunity to show what he can do so uh yeah i mean the jury is definitely still out on this guy but uh you're you're right that he needs to capitalize on that athleticism to justify that draft position yeah so grant it's interesting right i think we probably have a little bit too sour of a taste in our mouths because of that horrendous playoff performance that he actually i think during the regular season was probably the most effective point guards the Bulls had you I mean at least made his shots from three-point range I agree that he's still a, a pretty timid shooter and he's going to be 25 this year as well so not someone I'm looking at as a any kind of a solution at that position but yeah I mean I think it's possible if they're really trying to win games and it could be this year that Fred Hoiberg despite this pretty miserable roster is going to feel at least some pressure to at least exceed expectations if not actually like really win uh in this is third year when he has kind of struggled uh so maybe it could be that Grant will take over I mean I think my prediction was that it's just going to be musical chairs because neither of these guys are going to be that good and they'll just keep going back and forth especially because Hoiberg is not exactly 
been the most consistent in his rotations these last two years yeah if, if vegas offered that bet on their board of like how many point guards hoiberg is going to start i mean you, you got to take the over whatever that number is right <laughs> uh, yeah grant i mean he was okay as a starter he shot 37 percent from three on the year i think he was closer to 40 percent in the games that he started but you uh briefly touched on his defense before that was really the reason that the bulls gave on why he lost his starting role in the middle of the season and he was not a great defender he really struggled in keeping guys in front of him and missed a lot of assignments but i mean that's true for all the guys that the bulls have on the roster they have very very young teams so i don't really think grant is gonna like kill you defensively out there so i i think he will definitely get a shot to start alongside uh dunn yeah i think you're right when those guys are gonna rotate back and forth let's talk about marketing a little bit even if we assume that miritich is back i'm my supposition is that miritich is probably going to be the starter uh just because rookies usually aren't that good maybe especially if miritich comes back on the qualifying offer then maybe that won't be the case or maybe he'll play less just because he's not a part of the team's long-term plans but you did mention hopefully we're not talking the day after that france finland game about the apex of marketing's career Uh, but but he was pretty good in that game how much do you think he can contribute this year a lot of it does depend on what they do with Miritich, and uh, there really has been no progress on that front, but they're going to play marketing a lot. I mean, they invested a lot to get this guy. Uh, they've already been criticized a lot for passing on Dennis Smith, but, you know, I, I think it's probably a little bit too early for that. Uh, marketing as you said, looked awesome in this Finland game. Uh, he, the the thing that I really like about watching him is he is really able to get his shot off, uh, find that shot from the three-point line. And um, he also showed like a more versatile offensive game in that Eurobasket debut where he, he was pretty good on the offensive glass. He had some putbacks, uh, hit a little bit from the mid-range. His post-up game needs a ton of work. Uh, he I think he had eight possessions in the post in, in that game against France, and he scored twice. Um, but the other six times yeah, he's just not strong enough there I mean I, I yeah he I just don't got completely out muscled down there I don't see him really necessarily being a guy even when he does get stronger that is just hey he's posting up against his man throw it to him I think it's going to be much more of an issue in terms of switching because when he's going to running all these pick and pops teams are going to try and switch that and then he's going to need to get into the post and and try to get deep post position I do think he's you know he's not a wuss out there you know he's not strong but he at least is willing to try and, and throw his body around a little bit yeah that was also a criticism about him when he was at arizona and in summer league too i mean like he would have ryan kelly on him who's you know a pretty lanky guy and he just couldn't even overpower him so definitely needs to work on strength training but he's only 20 years old so i think that's pretty normal and uh yeah again just like with all these bulls players you're you just kind of have to give him a little bit of time to see uh what he can do yeah, so I mean, I, I would expect him maybe to play more as time goes on uh, during the season. At center as well, you've got Robin Lopez, potentially a trade candidate, although I don't. not that many teams need centers. He's got two years left on, on his deal, uh, a little under $15 million per season. And they re-signed Felicio on that four-year, $32 million deal. How do you see the playing time shaking out at the center position for these guys? And could anyone else get in the mix uh, other than those two? I guess we haven't even mentioned Bobby Portis yet at, at the four either, but I 
I guess we can start at center here first. I think that uh, Lopez was one of the really pleasant surprises on the Bulls last season. Uh, he he really has like a very nice mid-range game, and he's just a solid player overall. But he, I mean, obviously he does not fit in with this team's plans long-term at all. So I think that they will probably try to put him on the, the trade block. But as you said, like there's just not that much interest in that old-school type of center. So I am more excited about seeing Cristiano Felicio, who maybe uh, not that many people are familiar with, but he has showed uh, some pretty good promise in the minutes that he's gotten in the past couple years. Uh, really good rim-rolling threat. He and Dwayne Wade actually have really good chemistry on those lob plays on pick-and-rolls. And, roll. and uh, I know that you've mentioned before that you're kind of excited about Felicio's shooting potential. Uh, I talked to him when the Bulls came to New Orleans last season. I live in New Orleans. And um, he told me that, you know, he actually works on his three-point shot quite a bit in practice, but the coaches told him not to shoot it last year because they didn't feel like he was ready. So I think that you're definitely going to see him trying to stretch out a little bit in preseason. And maybe if he has success with that, then he'll take that into the regular season. I know like every single center, like the story is always that they're developing a three-point shot in the summer. But Felicio is young enough where I think that he can actually like maybe implement that in his game one day. Yeah, and even two years ago, he didn't play much in the D-League. This is before the Bulls had their own affiliate, but uh, he actually, you know, I think he was like four for 10 in the D-League, uh, if memory serves. And you know, I think the Bulls probably overpaid for him. If you look at maybe Alan Williams as a comparable guy, I think Felicio is better than him, but for Williams only get one year guaranteed at $6 million, uh, and then a couple more non-guaranteed years after that. You know, I think maybe $6 million would have been a little more appropriate for Felicio, but the Bulls struck pretty early on that one. Uh, potentially fearing a, an offer sheet that would have been unlikely to, to ever come I think and I do think you know he should get as much time as he can handle and try to let him shoot I mean what else do you have to do anyway at least he stands out there and there's more room for guys like Dunn to try and get to the basket or Wade as well what about uh, let me let's ask it this way the Garpax regime has come under a lot of fire, justifiably so, for the fact that they really have not been able to find young players to contribute. Felicio is probably the best of that group so far, frankly, in the last couple of years. McDermott is already gone. Payne they traded for looks like you know he, he's going to be a bust and, and has these injury issues. So of the guys who remain, so Denzel Valentine, number 14 overall pick last season, uh, Bobby Portis as well, Dunn. Of those guys, and maybe I'm I'm forgetting so i guess we talked about felicia already jerry and grant of those guys and paul zipser as well of those guys who do you think has the best chance to develop into a solid rotation player and could any of them even become a, a starter at some point on a decent team I'm not very high on these young Bulls players. That's kind of a difficult question for me to answer. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, you I got to um, pick one. I realize it's difficult. <laughs> I think Bobby Portis is actually going to have a pretty good year from a counting stats perspective. Like if you look at just his offensive numbers, his per 36 numbers, he, he was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I think it was, he's a solid offensive player, I think. Yeah, I mean, he can stretch the floor. He's a decent three-point shooter. He's got a good mid-range jumper too. And um, his post-game, like he's also another guy that needs to get a little bit stronger. And he is very limited in his moves, but I mean, he's not terrible down there. Uh, the problem with him is just that like, he can't stay on the floor because his defense is so bad, but that's not going to yeah. be a concern for the Bulls this year because they're not trying to win games anyway. So I think he's going to play a lot and then he's just going to pile up these box score stats and maybe get some more uh, fans on his side. 
Yeah, that might, I mean, and I remember when he first was starting with the team, everyone's like, hey, this guy's got to play more. He's awesome. Everyone's like, oh, this guy's a, a steal. But yeah, I mean, just doesn't have the athleticism, I think, either moving his feet or the explosion to defend at either the four or five position. And it really it gets difficult for him. And, and you know, I think he could maybe be a backup somewhere who comes in and just kind of jacks up shots. I mean, maybe like a slower version of Mike Scott, you know, maybe he could evolve into that sort of player. But seeing him as a starter is very difficult maybe he could be an adequate backup for a team at at some point and what about valentine where is he at he had a a rookie season where he struggled with these ankle injuries had arthroscopic surgery on his left ankle in uh typical fashion not really very well announced by the bulls i think it was his left ankle but you can correct me if i'm wrong on that and but where is he at now after summer league and what are the hopes for him this year so Valentine complained after the season that his role, complained might not be the right word, but he just stated at the end of the season that his role was extremely limited, which is pretty fair. Like when you're playing with Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade, who, uh, I mean, those guys need the ball large chunk of the time. And the Bulls drafted Valentine with the hope that he could kind of be a secondary playmaker. But what he ended up doing was solely being a catch and shoot spot up guy on the three point line to try to spread the floor. He was okay in that role. I mean, he hit 35% of his threes. Um, uh, 3.6 attempts per game. He basically only shot three-pointers. And um, yeah, you, you'd you like to see him expand on his game a little bit more, but he really has not been able to drive at all or do anything basically below the free throw line. Every time he gets down there, he either jacks up like really bad floaters or takes these contested pull-up twos or just passes the ball out to reset the offense. So that's going to be the next step for him. Yeah, uh, and I'm not sure he's capable of taking it unfortunately and you mentioned the three-point shooting shot 72 percent of his shots from beyond the arc and yeah you can complain because in college you know he had the ball in his hands but there's a lot of guys in college who are six six or just a little stronger than the guys guarding them who can kind of get to a spot and then shoot a shot in the lane where that's really just not a good shot in the nba or you're just the guy who's guarding you is just too athletic if you're that sort of unexplosive kind of tank six six type of guy and yeah i think he's a, a reasonable passer and dribbler for his position but because he's never really going to be able to force help he can't really exercise those skills and then defensively it's always going to be a struggle for him you know doesn't have the best body not very quick laterally understands the scheme okay but just always going to be probably a liability and so i just again don't really see what the path is for him other than if he just wants to totally transform himself into a shooting specialist and really be a guy who can come off screens and jack up shots and really you know be good in that one i think he could be that good of a shooter at some point but other than that i don't see what his plus skill is at the nba level i think that is going to be his long-term role just as like as a shooter and not really as a playmaker like the bulls envision i mean the thing about valentine is he is just really really slow uh like nate you might be faster yeah. than this guy on the court uh and like you just can't succeed as a drive and kick player when as you said like you're you're never forcing help and you're never getting to the line either uh, so uh, all right i mean i i guess uh out of the those guys and so we've got that leaves zipser uh so between Portis, Valentine, and Zipser, I mean, those are the three guys that they've drafted over the last couple of years uh, before the, this marketing pick. And pick one. Who's who's going to have the best career out of those three guys? I think they're all probably going to have pretty similar careers. Like, if you base it on what they did last year, Zipser probably had the best year out of those guys. And Zipser was, like, yeah. pretty mediocre, too. But he, he at least was uh, solid. You knew what you were getting from him. 
a pretty adequate defender, uh, doesn't really try to do too much, which is a problem that those other two guys definitely do have. And, uh, you know, he's a, a competent shooter. He shot 33% on two attempts per game. So uh, you want to see that percentage go up a little bit, but he at least like wasn't afraid to shoot it. His form looks okay. And um, I think that teams were at least respecting that shot. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to go too wild about a guy who had a 6.9 PR last year. But yeah, I mean, I think if he can improve his shot, he could be an okay player because he can at least defend his position. I mean, he's the only guy on this team who can actually defend threes, you know, and so I think he's going to have to play a lot this year. And so we'll see whether he can play or not. Uh, but he at least, I agree with you, I'm the most optimistic about him, uh, given that he was drafted, whatever it was, number 48 or 49 or something. Uh, but he at least, you can understand the theory of how he fits in the modern game whereas valentine portis you know it doesn't really work i mean I, if i had to guess though yeah i mean i guess it would probably be him i mean i think portis maybe is more likely to just carve out a backup role because i think he can score that's at least one, the one that one skill that he has is probably better than any other skill that that uh that threesome has but you know it's uh maybe zipser if he can learn to shoot is could become a quality player and i don't see that in the future for the other guys yeah, the other reason why you might be a little bit higher on Zipser is uh, he had an ankle injury that was really plaguing him throughout the season. And uh, he was a much more explosive athlete than I think people realized when he was in Germany. He he played pretty well above the rim. Uh, he I think that you might see a little bit more of that this season. Although, I mean, he's not like a freak athlete or anything, but um, I think that maybe those injuries slowed him down a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, the only concern with him, like I actually think he can be adequate defensively. It's just based on on this translations from what he did in Europe and last year I mean he may just be completely inadequate as an offensive player and maybe just never get beyond that I think he's gonna be 23 this year so not the youngest guy but yeah I mean I still have some hope for him he plays hard he's got more athleticism than you'd think especially his playmaking on defense I think is better than people would think um let's see what else do we want to talk about here I mean I guess the shooting guard position Wade gonna come back Nick Friedel reporting first that he was expected uh to commence by out negotiations soon and then walk back on that a little bit that just you know that'll happen in a few months maybe so not really a, a huge report there and then Levine you mentioned January as a time frame I mean, what has that been I mean has there been reporting that it would be January like what, what is that based on the, the feeling that it, it would be that long because I know he's been saying he wants to come back earlier and might be ready for training camp and stuff like that I don't know if there's been any official reporting yet. That's just kind of uh, speculation yeah. from the beat guys. But the, the Levine situation is really interesting because there are uh, opposing incentives on both sides of this. So Levine is going to be a restricted free agent after the season. The Bulls obviously don't want to pay him like close to a max salary. I don't think he'll command that much, but they, they want to keep his next contract down. And then on his end, he wants to prove that he's completely recovered from this ACL injury and that he deserves a lot of money. So it's going to be really interesting to see how those two sides resolve that and how quickly Levine can get back on the court what do you think of him as a player I think we make the assumption that he comes back to be the same guy like what are the Bulls getting from him in this trade the Bulls are really excited about Levine's potential he is a guy that fits really well with what Fred Hoiberg was brought in to do and he has not been able to implement these Iowa State offenses at all uh, Levine can spread the floor he good three-point shooter. He's great in transition. And those are the two areas where the Bulls have really struggled. So um, I think that Hoiberg is going to love uh, how he plays. Now, as far as his actual impact on winning, uh, if you dive into his advanced statistics, it is not a very pretty picture. Uh, 
the Timberwolves have been better for, I think, like all three years that he was there when he's been off the court and, you know, uh, all in one metrics like RPM, BPM, they really are not high on Levine at all. So I think that's definitely concerning that this might be a guy who looks great on the court, super athletic, you know, he's won two dunk contests, but as far as how he actually impacts winning, that is still a a big question. And he doesn't really, other than the fact that he can rise up over just about anybody and get his shot off for a jumper and runs the floor really well and can dunk and transition, in the half court, we really see very little of him attacking the room. Didn't have nearly as many dunks last year as you would expect, even of course, before the injury shut him down. And I think it was late January. But you know, and he had that failed experiment playing at point guard two years ago, which may have helped his development a little bit to play with the ball in his hands, but not a guy who really passes a lot, doesn't take the greatest shots. But I mean, this Bulls team is desperately going to need any kind of shot creation that he can provide. I wouldn't expect him to shoot well this year. I think that's been generally guys have shot really poorly on jumpers coming back from ACL injuries. Jabari Parker, we saw that from him. Derek Rose obviously has never really regained his jump shot until maybe last year. Um, and so I think it takes time if they ever get it back for guys coming off those ACL tears, especially a guy like him who's so reliant in terms of the way he shoots the ball on that great rise that he gets. So, I mean, especially if he's, I think one of the problems is I actually talked to Jabari about this before he had his second ACL injury, that when you're kind of shooting around, you know, you want to be on the court doing something, but you're just shooting a set shot. And then if you're a guy who shoots a jumper like Jabari or like Derek Rose or, or like Levine, you, that practice you're kind of stuck halfway mentally between a set shot and a jumper and so it takes a while maybe to get that back we saw Jabari get that back before he injured himself again but I I wouldn't expect Levine to shoot the ball well uh coming back whenever it is this season I agree with you and I actually looked at Levine's stats uh when he was on the court and Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins were off just to see how he performed when he had that uh, increased role. So his usage skyrocketed. He was uh, 21.7 usage overall. Uh, He went up to 28.5 when he was the lone guy out of those three. It's only 290 minutes, so not a huge sample. But his shooting went way down... uh, 51.5 true shooting percentage, 55 is league average, so 51.5, not very good, Uh, way worse than his 58% overall in the season. So I think that he's going to get a ton of shots because, as you said, there's very, very little shot creation on this team. Uh, His counting stats might look really good. I I think he's going to be a 20-point-per-game scorer again, but I don't expect his efficiency numbers to be very good. Yeah, what about Wade? That's another guy, obviously. He's going to be really the only guy on this team who can create a shot, but as it continued last year i mean i think his season previous was overrated maybe it's possible that his offensive season last year is a little bit underrated because he still can at least create shots and and you know that does provide some value i mean nobody was going to pay him that 24 million obviously but i mean at least can do that a little bit still a quality passer still can get into the post and score especially if he has a, a good matchup but certainly miscast as a number one option especially on a team without much in the way of great shooting threats around him but i mean what do you think is going to happen for him while he's on the court this season so if you didn't watch the bulls last season i certainly don't blame you if that's the case and you just look at wade's counting stats like 18 points a game you think that's pretty good Uh, but he again like he really was not very efficient he was pretty terrible on defense and he didn't even play that many games he he only played 60 games the bulls held him out of a lot of back-to-backs i expect them to do that again and uh, really 
cut his minutes. Yeah, he'll probably hold himself out of a lot of back-to-backs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, the I mean, young he's, guys. He's just going to be saving himself for his new team, and that's exactly what I would be doing if I were in his situation as well. Absolutely, yeah. And, and the young guys, too, they were reportedly like kind of unhappy that he was sitting out a lot of the practices, too. Uh, there was that spat that the team had where Wade called those guys out for essentially not working hard enough, and I think that they felt that was a little bit hypocritical, uh, justifiably so. So I don't. I really don't know like how big of a part of the team he's going to be, or even like how much he's going to play. Yeah, I mean he's going to have to a little bit early on at least. Um, but we'll see what happens when he gets into camp too. I mean, I I expect he's going to still try and score because like trying to score is pretty fun and just taking as many shots. I mean, he still, despite being much less efficient, had a much I shouldn't say much higher, but about three percent higher usage than even Jimmy Butler last season. Uh, but he definitely really failed to lead this team to efficient offense. Uh, when Butler was off the floor. Uh, what do you think is going to be the crunch time lineup for uh, Coach Fred Hoiberg this season? I mean, we can say both before and, and after Levine returns. So the the Bulls really don't have uh, that many great options for this crunch time li- lineup. Uh, I think they'll probably go with Jerry and Grant because he's a little bit more proven. Wade's going to be out there. He's definitely going to be like the guy that takes those um, game-winning shots if the Bulls ever have that opportunity. And uh, I guess, you know, they might go with Larry Markinen actually at the center rather than, or maybe uh, Cristiano Felicio too, rather than Robin Lopez, just because when they left Lopez in at the end of games last year teams really abused him on pick and roll he's he's not a very um he's not great at lateral movement so can really get exposed on that end uh hopefully Miritich will be back on the team and that'll be uh the four in crunch time yeah, I mean, maybe you could see that they'll probably do a lot of offense defense, I would imagine. Maybe Markinen and Miritich together. They did play Markinen some at center. I don't think he can hold up at all as a help defender or on the boards the way you need to at center. But we have seen teams generally go smaller as opposed to bigger late in games. And maybe they're just, if you get those two guys out there, then Wade can go to work in the post. You actually have a little bit more space. I have to imagine Zipser's got to be out there against most teams, right? Anybody who has any kind of a scoring threat at the the three Zipser is probably going to be out there just because they don't have anyone else to guard those guys. Zipser closed a lot of games for them last year. I, I think Hoiberg really likes him, has a lot of confidence in him. So yeah, I think you're right. All right. Uh, this will be difficult, but do you see any strengths for this 2017-18 Bulls team? I think they're going to shoot a ton of three-pointers. Uh, if you look at the Bulls from last year, it's almost like two completely different teams between the starting unit and the bench unit. So the starters were this older group of players who took a lot of mid-range shots, really took their time. Uh, definitely the worst collection of three-point shooters of any starting group. And they lost uh, They lost a lot of those guys. They lost Rondo, Butler, Wade, and Taj Gibson. None of those guys could shoot three-pointers. And their bench units, uh, I think they were top five in three-point attempts per game of bench units. So I think they're going to look actually a lot like the Sixers in those early process years where yeah, they were trying to implement... Yeah, the Nets last year. Yeah, where they're just like trying to jack up shots, but right. can't make them right uh the the bench units last year for the bulls were really bad but they at least played this modern style
style of basketball. And I think the Bulls don't have the offensive firepower to make that effective, but they are going to play more of this open style of basketball where they shoot a lot of three-pointers. They try to push the ball in transition, run a lot more pick and rolls, and just do what uh, Hoiberg kind of envisioned when he took over this job. Yeah, and maybe that's the way finally that Hoiberg can play a little bit of his style. I mean, he's got Miritich, he's got Markkinen. They should, they've got Portis. They should basically at all times have some shooting at the four. And you mentioned Lopez as a solid midrange shooter, an underrated one, in fact. Maybe Felicio can get out there. So maybe you could say shooting at the big positions at the four and five there. They can be above average, um, especially if Miritich decides that this he's going to hit his shots this year. You never know with him on that, uh, or even just you know from first half, second half as well um maybe be okay on the glass uh just because lopez is a pretty good re- rebounding center although you know with no Taj gibson maybe that won't be the case as, as much this year um but they've got you know wade is still a decent rebounder for his size uh, dunn is a bigger point guard they uh, zipser is a reasonably large three so maybe they can be okay on the glass i wouldn't expect them to to kill anybody though uh, the way they were like the first half of last year yeah they finished the year last year fourth in offensive rebounding percentage and that was one of the main reasons why they gave the Celtics trouble in the very beginning of that series you actually uh you failed to mention the best offensive rebounder on the team and that's Cristiano Felicio he didn't play enough yeah. minutes to qualify on those leaderboards but if he did he would have been in the top 15 and he is like uh just incredibly tenacious on the offensive glass so I think you are right in that at least on the offensive rebounding side of the ball uh the Bulls should be better than league average and maybe a top 10 team is there any chance that the defense is okay? I mean, they were very quietly. I mean, they were probably one of the most surprising posi- or you know unit ranks in the NBA last year was this team being the sixth ranked defense in the NBA. A lot of that, of course, was Butler. They don't really have anyone now at, at the three. Uh, but I thought Rondo wasn't a good defender. I think Dunn actually could be a really good defender. Like, is it possible that this team's defense actually like doesn't suck? So this is what I will say about that number six ranking from last year. Uh, if you take out the last two games of the season so in game 81 they beat the magic by 47 points when the magic oh that's right yeah and then the nets didn't play in the last two so what it's more like those two games just like totally skewed it huh yeah they fall from sixth to 11th in defense if you remove the 40 point beating on the nets and that 47 point win over the magic but i mean 11th is still way better than what i would have predicted from the bulls at the start of last year and i think jim boylan who he was an assistant coach with the spurs the spurs always do magical things on the defensive end somehow they uh, did not fall down in the defensive rankings with Pau Gasol last year so I think Jim Boylan really deserves a ton of credit on that end and you look at this Bulls roster and you think man these guys really have a chance to be the 30th defense next year but uh, I have a little bit more I wouldn't say it's anywhere close to to that bad I mean like Lopez is a quality defender Dunn is okay I think Zipser is okay Miritich is like slightly underrated Uh, so no I mean I I wouldn't say it's, it's it's gonna be close i mean i could see them being like you know 22nd or something would be where i would pro- project them but i mean it, maybe you see it differently uh yeah i mean they they have some uh pretty big holes from their young guys uh denzel valentine's a really poor defender um Markinen, I think, is is going to struggle on that end. But I think that Jim Boylan is, is really going to help on that end. And uh, he is going to make that unit overachieve. I still don't think they're going to be, uh, you know, above league average. But I think they will not be quite as bad as uh, some people might think. 
Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on how much Wade plays. I mean, he's going to be a huge drag, I think. Who who plays at power forward? You know, scary as it is to say, Miritich is the best option there. I think either Portis or Markkanen are, are going to be an issue. And then, you know, Lopez, I think against most teams, still takes up space, helps box out, helps the defensive rebounding, uh, blocks some shots in there. You know, there aren't a lot of teams don't have the personnel to just kill him out on the floor and pick and roll. You know, he can hang back and and do a better job at intimidating at the rim so they have some units they can put out there and then i think you know Dunn, if he's the point guard i think they can be a lot better at, at the point of attack you know justin holiday whom we haven't really mentioned at all is a quality defender at the two and it, you know now if, when levine comes back coming off the acl he's going to be awful as well so i think they have some solid guys but it's basically a mix of like solid guys nobody's just like a monster and then guys who are probably going to just be off yeah and we haven't mentioned david Nwaba yet either who is a pretty good defender on the Lakers last year. Yeah, I mean, that, I guess he is probably the other guy on this team you might look at who can maybe guard the position at the three other than Zipser. Um, one thing they were really, really good at defensively that helped a ton that I expect them to take a huge step back on is uh, they never fouled. They were second in fouling the least on defense. And I think with all the young guys playing a lot more that that is, is going to regress pretty mightily. And maybe they'll force a few more turnovers because uh, Butler, for all his brilliance, was never really a big turnover guy Dunn can be pretty good there Wade uh gets steals that's basically all he does on defense these days um but they play such a conservative style with Lopez hanging back maybe if they do more with Felicio out on the floor they can force some more turnovers but you know I don't expect them to be a quality unit there um but you know I mean if I and also just this is a team that's going to be tanking they're going to be playing young guys you know the second half of the year I think they could really fall off defensively and just in terms of their overall effort yeah I agree with you I mean there's so many different and incentives from so many sides to this uh they, they might try to keep it together for the first half, but, you know, these young guys, they're trying to get their next big contract. Hoiberg, he is trying to set up a different narrative from what he has been pegged in these first three years where, I mean, he really has to worry about what's going to happen uh, after this contract with the Bulls is up, if he even makes it that far. So I think he's going to have a lot of incentive to try to win and try to make this team look good. And then from the front office side, you know, they really want the Bulls to finish with the worst record in the league and set up next yeah. year. Uh, number one pick hopefully yeah and a lopez trade could really affect things i think for them defensively as well uh okay uh, so now we've carved out the next uh, 25 minutes to discuss the bulls weaknesses this year <laughs> <laughs> i mean the biggest thing is just experience right like uh they have so many young players on the team uh coaching too you could consider a weakness fred hoiberg really has not shown very much in these first couple years on the team and who knows how long he's going to last the biggest weakness on this team if you ask if you pull a random citizen of chicago they're almost certainly going to say management and gar foreman john paxson who uh you, they've really made some very questionable decisions over the past couple years so uh it's it might be a very long way up if the bulls don't absolutely nail the draft next year and get one of these top picks yeah i was gonna save this till the end but i'll ask it now if you had to predict it right now when is the next season that the bulls make the playoffs 
So I wrote an article answering this question for The Athletic. I think that the feeling around Chicago, and if you ask the Bulls, they think this rebuild is going to be really fast because they have this cap space next year. Uh, they think that they have a good core to start over with Levine and Markinen and Chris Dunn. I'm not nearly as high as they are on that. And I think that with that cap space next year, they're not going to be able to get an impact free agent. Uh, they're still way too far away. So what they really should be doing is using that cap space to pick up future assets like they did with this Pondexter deal that got them a second round pick. Last time the Bulls rebuilt, they got totally saved by this Derrick Rose uh, draft pick where they had, I think it was like a 1.8% chance. They, uh, during this baby bulls era they were out of the playoffs for six seasons i think that's gonna be the case again uh I, i'm picking six years as a uh, when they'll return to the playoffs yeah if you look at this roster right now i would say levine and maybe marketing and i'm not sure about him just because of his athletic limitations those are maybe the only two guys that you would look at as like starter quality on the next good bulls team and i'm not even sure about levine coming back from the acl he could be damaged goods and and he also, you know, just may just always be so bad defensively that he always, you know, whatever his offensive potential, he gives it all back on defense. And maybe it could be the same for Markinen as well. Maybe Felicio could be, become a guy like that, but I probably, I would more think he's going to end up being a, a career backup, maybe if, if a good one. And so then you say, okay, if all goes well, they get a top three pick next year, they draft that guy. And then that guy is really two, three years away from being a quality playoff level contributor and they might be able to jumpstart things if they want i mean i wouldn't recommend this but to just draft solid players they could maybe or, or not draft but get it uh as free agents you know get a couple of starters with the their projected 37 million next year though that doesn't include miritich or, or a potential extension for levine so that that could disappear a lot more quickly th- than people think uh especially when you throw the, their draft pick in there and then maybe if they get another draft pick as well they'll eat into the space so yeah i mean I, I think you're right like that's it's hard for me to imagine you know i think it happening any earlier than three years from next summer you know i mean i think they're going to need two more draft picks and two more top five picks and those guys have to develop so and also then you throw in that's if you're going to say that those picks work out and with the recent track record of foreman and paxson you would be hard pressed to believe that they are going to select the, the right guys even if the picks are there right i think they're three years away from being three years away basically and those top guys in the 2018 <laughs> draft uh the that draft is already being pretty hyped but those guys are really young like you look at luka Doncic, sure. i think he's 19 right now and michael porter he's gonna be a freshman i think he's, I think he's 18 right now actually yeah so yeah i mean all, all those guys are basically gonna be you know typical you know one and done 19 years old when they right right so you're gonna have to give those guys some time too so it, it's gonna be a very long process for the bulls all right so back to some of the weaknesses here uh and creation obviously is one that sticks out to me wade really the only guy who can do that passing i'm not really sure who's a good passer on this team Uh, they got a lot of guys who will jack up outside shots but really nobody has set them up or draw the defense they're never going to get to the foul line uh that's another one i don't know how the hell they're going to get to the foul line with this team i mean and i mean last year already with jimmy butler on the team they were 30th in e field goal percentage and 
maybe you could just say, all right, they'll have enough shooting that they can spread the floor and not be the absolute worst offense in the league. But I see almost no way they avoid being a bottom five offense. Even with the better offensive players that they had in the past two years, they have never been above uh, 20th in offense. I think they were like 21st in Hoiberg's first year and uh, in that 20s range again uh, last year. So yeah, I I don't think that with a worse offensive group, this offense is going to get any better. I I think it's pretty safe bet they're going to be a bottom five offense. Well, and then you mentioned the coaching too, to elaborate on that point. This is a team with a lot of guys who have big weaknesses at one end of the floor or the other. And we've seen Hoiberg, I, I think it's fair to say, failed in creating units that make sense out of players with disparate skills, right? Like last year, you know, he was throwing out, uh, uh, and even two years ago, he's throwing out these units that just have like no shooting and they're all defense. Or, you know, he'd play Miritich and McDermott together uh, both, uh, off the bench. And those guys, you know, you're never going to guard anyone with both those guys guys out there so i foresee that even if there is a way to kind of spin all these disparate talents together and these limited players together into units that make sense i'm not sure i trust hoiberg to succeed there i do think that they may have defended a little bit above their weight in the hoiberg era at least last year so he deserves some credit there but in terms of just getting some units out there that can be well-rounded on both ends of the floor especially with the limited options at his disposal i think it could be a problem yeah lineup management definitely is not one of hoiberg's strong suits uh he, he i think the players like him i think he is well regarded as like a, a really nice guy but i don't have a lot of confidence that he's really going to bring out the best in this in these guys yeah i would imagine they're going to turn the ball over a ton too with all these young guys and the lack of spacing the the lack of shooting and creation guys are just going to be stretched beyond what they're really capable of doing offensively i expect wade to just turn the ball over a ton as well and then uh not get back on defense getting back on defense will probably not be something that this team is that great at either um all right let's get the your uh official bulls uh, predicted record here for the uh 2017-18 season so i mentioned before the vegas line is set at 22.5 and i think that i mean it's really hard to win less than 20 games in the nba especially the way the east is going and i, I think hoiberg really wants to change this narrative that has permeated uh chicago that he is yeah. this really weak-willed guy he's he's gonna coach his ass off because really he needs to uh he's in a very tenuous position last uh, at the end of the season last year management uh was asked like what he does well and they didn't have an answer you know they just kind of stalled and then said like oh well we're not going to go into specifics so uh publicly they will never say anything bad about hoiberg but i i just don't think that you can look at that situation objectively and think that he has any reason to have long-term security so i think yeah. i think the three years left on his contract at five million a year i mean that's probably like the fact that they're rebuilding and it doesn't really matter and that he's a nice guy and jerry reinsdorf doesn't want to pay a new coach i mean that's probably just that inertia alone is really his biggest reason for security at this point i mean he got that five-year deal at five i think it might have even been like five years 30 million I, I can't remember exactly what it was but it's definitely at least five million a year yeah and you don't really need like an amazing tactician when you're uh probably going to be the worst team in the league right so i would I, I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes out the remaining years in his contract but he's really got to be looking forward to the next step here if he returns to the college game or if he wants to get another nba job or maybe in the you know somehow the bulls extend him uh he has to he has to start setting himself up for that next step 
Yeah, you know, I, I think there might even be no way that they exceed, you know, 27th or 20, 28th in offense. Um, I mean, I, I'll go first with my official prediction. I mean, I think that line is pretty pretty accurate. I'm going to go just because I think they are going to try. And also, this is a team that, for whatever reason, even when it's behooved them to tank, it hasn't done so. Like, down the end of uh, the season two years ago, they're still playing Jimmy Butler and winning games and getting a, a worse draft pick. And so I, I think I think 22 is right there. I'm going to go with uh, with 22 wins uh, for this Bulls team. Uh, what about you? I had 24 here written down, so I'm going to stick with that, even though I, I could go 23 and just one over you, but I'll, I'll stick with 24. <laughs> <laughs> well that is a uh, very magnanimous of you uh, all right best case scenario let's say things go pretty well for this team levine comes back marketing shows some progress done it isn't absolutely terrible uh, you know maybe grant valentine portis can can do something uh what do you think is the best case scenario for this team this year well i think it's interesting you didn't mention miritich because uh based on the ad- oh yeah yeah based on the advanced stats i mean he was really the guy that impacted winning the most if you look at rpm uh, and uh, I think it's really going to depend a lot on what happens in that situation. So his contract status, it's looking likely now that he's just going to sign that qualifying offer, $7.2 million. And if that happens, the Bulls can't trade him. So like, if he starts going off and really starts living up to his potential, that could really hurt the tank too. I don't know if the Bulls would be thrilled with that. <laughs> um, but let's say that yeah. happens. Well, I mean, they probably, they might actually be willing to, I mean, he, he could still agree to a trade. Right. They just can't trade him without his consent. And I would imagine uh if he wasn't able to work out a deal and they don't want to bring him back with his bird I mean the reason they can't trade him is because he would lose his bird rights but if they're saying hey we're not going to give you a long-term deal anyway you know maybe he would accede to a trade but yeah I, I think that's interesting I mean because maybe maybe he averages 18 a game this year you know maybe he gets a chance to do more can get back to some of those tantalizing flashes he showed in 14 15 that magical march that he had where he led the league in fourth quarter scoring I know that's that's one that uh everyone likes to go back to that stat uh, go back to the well on that stat so maybe he could be pretty good maybe he averages 18 a game on pretty good efficiency and and that really helps things I mean, what was the, been the latest on those reports? i think i can't remember who it was that said that the the bulls and, and nico were basically like five million dollars apart on uh like a long-term deal like per season who said that do you remember yeah that was casey johnson that's right yeah yeah, so you have to imagine the Bulls are offering him like ten million a year, and he wants fifteen. You know, that's, that's that would probably be my guess, and and maybe he'll just decide. You know, I'll take it, or maybe they can come to an agreement where you know he gets three years, thirty million, but it's a two plus one or something like that, where he can at least get back on the market. And but as you mentioned, that qualifying offer is higher because he had a higher starting salary, so it's one hundred and twenty five percent of his starting salary. You know, he's not in the situation like a, a guy coming off a you know a second round deal or even you know someone like Nerlens Noel or Alex Len where they're qualifying qualifying offers only 4.2 million so it's not the end of the world for him if he takes that and he's i think he knows he's gonna have plenty of chances to put up stats this year it's just you know that's not a great market for anybody next summer either yeah those baby bulls teams right after the jordan years they really taught me the lesson that on an nba roster you have to somehow distribute like at least 90 points right i mean like ron mercer was averaging yeah. pretty high scoring average on those teams and i think that's gonna really help guys like miritich and levine where i mean somebody just has to take the shots on this team and and they're gonna have pretty good scoring averages you think there's any chance they reach an extension agreement with levine 
I don't think so because I don't think Levine wants to take much of a discount. So, uh, it, you know, he's going to have so many opportunities to uh, inflate his stats if he just holds out. I mean, I know the market is really bad next summer, but um, I I think also like on the bull's end, there's just so many questions about his health and what he can do in a bigger role. So I think both sides kind of have a lot of incentive to just wait it out and see how this year progresses. Yeah, and Levine's cap hold is nine point six million next season, so that's well below any extension he would agree to. So if the Bulls do intend to use cap space, you would imagine that that's another incentive to not agree to something. And I think unless he agrees to a very significant discount, they wouldn't be interested in doing that. Um, yeah, so I think like best case for these guys, eh, you know, like 27, 28 wins. Maybe I, I really I don't see how it'd be possible for them to get to thirty. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I have twenty eight. Uh, what about worst case? Worst case scenario, uh, I think the Nets... And they could win like 15 games or something. Yeah, uh, the Nets won like, 20 last year, is that right? Uh, yes, the Nets, I think, were 20 and 62, although they had a 24-win point differential. And then I think two years ago... They could just get a little unlucky. Yeah, two years ago, the Sixers won 10 games. I mean, I don't think the Bulls will be that bad. But yeah, I think like in a normal year, usually the worst team in the league is somewhere around like 17, 18 wins. So uh, I think that's pretty safe bet for worst case. Yeah, uh, I mean, I could see it even getting as as low as 15, especially because you think this is a team, even if they're in some games, their late game offense and execution is going to be so bad. Like they have nobody who's going to be able to score. They've got guys that you can go right after defensively as well in, in ISOs or small, small pick and rolls. Uh, they just, you know, young guys generally don't execute well at the end of games. Uh, I mean, even more so than uh, under normal circumstances. So I could see this as a team that uh, underperforms it's point differential because of failures in close games or even just because Fred Hoiberg is going to say hey we want to get these young guys who aren't necessarily actually the best option for winning this game some experience out here I actually have a story coming out of the athletic about this yeah I think the Bulls are <laughs> going to be a really bad clutch team basically their strategy last year was to go solely for hero ball plays with Butler and Butler was amazing in that role 63% true shooting in the clutch I said before 55% is league average but there was a play against the Clippers like midway through the season where the Bulls needed a three-pointer Hoybrick drew up a really nice play and got Isaiah Cannon a wide open three pointer that he missed and then after that game he just like he was really hard on himself he criticized himself he said i should have gotten jimmy butler the ball i don't know what i was doing and then after that like that was the entire (laughs) offense just give butler the ball and get the hell out of his way uh, so I, yeah, I think it's funny Hoiberg just in general right like he's he really I mean I think he has ideas of what he wants to do and he just due to lack of confidence or just whatever it is because he's had some strong-willed teams these two years with a lot of veterans who had this ingrained way of doing things he, he's acquiesced you know I mean and he's let those guys do things their way uh, and you know hasn't necessarily won the respect of the locker room even so but yeah I mean that's one of those risk aversion things right where he may believe that hey just using butler as a decoy let's get a wide open three that's a great shot at the end of the game even if the guy misses it uh but if you just throw the ball to jimmy butler you can't be criticized right and i mean hoiberg is he he knows that uh like setting up a wide open shot is a is a better outcome than you know jimmy butler highly contested shot but for whatever reason he's just not going to go down with his system he put in plays from tom thibodeau's playbook in his first year as coach after he got some pushback from those guys and i think he's going to go 
go back to this hero ball situation the end of games uh this year too just he seems to to just do that for whatever reason and Levine and Wade those are going to be the guys that take those shots if you look at their clutch statistics not very good at all um so yeah I don't think they're going to be stealing very many wins Hoiberg also just if you I mean when, when they came down to New Orleans I guess you covered the game I mean, if you just see him in just like a normal presser like he just seems like so stressed out and just like doesn't want to admit anything like he, he's like it reminds me of like a guy who was like the defendant who knew that he you know when I used to do uh plaintiff's law cases like the guy who knew that he had like you know, run the red light and hit the guy and is just like trying to avoid admitting anything like that's what he reminds me of <laughs> in these interviews yeah he really doesn't give away very much either in those interviews he just solely sticks to cliches um yeah, I, I, I don't like to rip the guy because, as I said, like he's extremely nice if you ever get the chance to talk to him. But he, he definitely has to show more uh, from a coaching perspective. Yeah, maybe, maybe he'll be a little bit more relaxed this year with the pressure off. I mean, I think he definitely felt a lot of pressure these last couple of years with some of the personalities on the team and the expectations. So maybe he can do a better job now with the, the pressure off. It remains to be seen. All right, well, I think uh, we can uh, get you out of here. Thanks so much for coming on. Let everyone know where they can follow your work. Uh, at the athletic yeah it was my pleasure thank you so much for having me uh you can follow me on twitter at steph no that's s-t-e-p-h-n-o-h and i write about the bulls for the athletic uh we're starting a new college sports site we're in a bunch of different cities and one subscription gets you access to all that stuff so please go ahead and sign up yeah, it's great Warriors stuff for the Athletic now, too. Danny writes for them. Anthony Slater is writing for them, the uh, the national stuff uh, that Stefan was talking about. So great site there. You do a podcast, too, right? Yeah, I do a Bulls podcast. It's called Bull Court Press. I do that with uh, Will Gottlieb, another contributor over at The Athletic. So if you are a Bulls fan, uh, we go into a lot of the advanced stats, a lot of the strategy, stuff like that. So I think your listeners uh, that are also Bulls fans would enjoy listening to that. All right. Well, thanks again uh, for coming on. And uh, we'll be back uh, with more in our Season Outlook series coming up uh, in a few days. Thanks again. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.